1: And good Sunday afternoon to y'all. This is Monica and uh, my tech geek, Victor, and hmm. we're here to bring you another episode of Arts or Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And I call it a Sunday because I kind of mix things up and then I put a special program at the end that, that I pick that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm already showing, uh, but anyway, I hope you've got. Uh, if you like what we've got going for you this afternoon, I've got some game shows and I've got a kids show and um, um. Oh, and by the way, um, my guru over here told me that someone had written in and requested the shadow, so next week I'll put him in the pile
0: your guru or the shadow
1: oh <laughs> uh, well <laughs> how, how about both <laughs> yeah okay uh, uh, i'll put the shadow in there and um y'all be sure and if you want any requests at all please send them to um Whose blind life is it anyway? At I started to say at victor.com. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Whose blind life is it anyway? At gmail.com. And, um, or you can write to me di- directly at coffeegal62. That's one word, C O F F E E G A L 62 at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm um, Moni60, that's M-O-N-N-I-6-0. And uh, Twitter is, um, on. Uh, Victor is at Blind Whos on Twitter. That's Blind W-H-O-S-E. And then we're also on Facebook. Um, the page. The page, yeah, the page. And whose blind life is it anyway? So, uh, you know, like us or comment or, but mainly we hope you'll subscribe and um, have fun with us. So uh, anyway, I guess now it's time to get, oh, yeah. And if you don't like any of those options, we're on every podcast.
0: Known to man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, known to man, you know, so. You can uh, tell Alexa to play whose Blind Life" as is it anyway, and she'll play and play and play and play till Jesus comes, and
0: <laughs> or until she runs out of podcasts, whichever comes first. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I, I don't, I don't think she'll ever run out of them. <laughs> not as busy as you stay.
0: Well, you think uh, so?
1: <laughs> but anyway, um, the first thing we're going to show you is, uh, or we're going to play for you, is a game show. Um, and it's called It Pays to Be Ignorant. So I hope you have fun with with this. And here we go.
2: Why is marriage like taking a bath? Because after you get used to it, it's not so hot. Correct. Pay that man eight (laughs) dollars. What is an old maid?
3: A yes woman who never got a chance to talk.
2: Correct. Pay <laughs> that $9 because. It
3: pays to be ignorant. A zany half hour with those masters of insanity, Harry McNaughton, George Shelton, the nail-up girl Lula McConnell, and featuring Doc Novick's orchestra. But now, here's the man who proves it pays to be ignorant, Tom Howard. <laughs>
2: Well, here we are again with that quiz program only for people in their second childhood. We have a board of experts who think Yale College is where they make lots. First, we have the celebrated author, Mr. Harry McNaughton, who has just written a book entitled Seven New and Exciting Ways to Eat Garlic or How to Become Strong. But here he is, Mr. Harry McNaughton.
4: I have a poem, Mr. Howard. I imagine. A farmer had a cow he called Zephyr. She was really a beautiful heifer. But when he got near, the cow kicked off his ear. <laughs> and now the poor farmer's much deafer.
5: A masterpiece.
4: If anyone tells you you can trust a cow, it's a bum steer. Aye, a bum
2: steer. Very good, Miss McNaught. Next, we have a woman who is so fat it takes her two hours to dress because she has to slow down for the curves. A woman, A woman whose family has no background, but she has plenty. Here she is, the girdled gravel, or the girdy, or the gravel girdy of the Floral Park, Miss Lola McConnell. My yes. bridge work is sure slipping tonight. <laughs> you know, Mister Howard, I'm going to I'm going to the movies tomorrow night. You are. Yeah, and I've got to get there early. Uh huh. I'm so thrilled. What's those thrilling about going to the movies? Well, they got a sign outside. Yes. The servicemen, twenty-five cents. Yes. And I want to get there before they're all gone. I see. <laughs> Okay, next we have a man who the day he was born, the doctor said to his father, congratulations, I think it's a baby.
5: A man, a man, a man,
2: a man who has been up the river so many times, his friends call him showboat. Here he is, Mr. George Shelton. Say, you know, I got a brother-in-law up the river right now in jail. Uh Uh-huh. And he don't like it? Isn't that too bad? He doesn't like it. Oh, Mm -hmm. they put him in a cell that leaks. It's full of water. The cell is full of water? Well, he wants me to come up and bail him out. Bail him out. (laughs) Well, there's the experts, folks. There's the experts. Any resemblance between them and human beings is purely accidental. Here is the first question. Let's try hard and answer it. It's a little tricky, this question, so be careful. Yes. I will read a poem to you. In the poem, there's hidden the name of a very popular city. A poem. A poem. See if you can tell me the name of the city. Here is the poem. There is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside her house. Washing done here every day is what the sign has got to say. Now, what's the name of the city? What city? The city I mentioned in the poem.
4: I didn't hear you mention any city.
2: (laughs) Mr. McNaughton, the name of the city is sort of hidden in the poem.
4: Oh, how can you hide a city in a poem? (laughs)
2: That's so silly. Mr. McNaughton, were you ever kicked in the head by a jackass?
4: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Messy, isn't it? Messy.
2: Scott, <laughs> I'll, I'll start all over again. Now listen to the poem. Yes. There is a lady poor as a mouse. What's the lady's name, Mr. Howard? Uh, you're a moron. Oh, what an odd name. What an odd name. <laughs> Will you listen to the poem? There is a lady poor as a mouse has a sign outside the house washing done here every day. Is what the sign has got to say. Now, what city did I mention?
4: Is it a large city, Mr. Hart?
2: Oh, all right, it's a large city. And you say the lady is poor. Poor as a church mouse. Church mouse,
4: oh, that's pretty poor. Yeah, church mice are always poor. Yeah, they've been hit pretty hard. Yeah, by the depression. You know, I, I I wonder what makes church mice so poor. Well, I guess because
2: nobody ever thinks of bringing a piece of cheese to church with them. Yeah, that's logical. Well, I don't think it would hurt a person when they're going to church to take a piece of cheese and Mm -hmm. slip it to the mice. No, that wouldn't hurt them. Do you, Mister Shelton? No, I do not. In fact, I, I think you should always take a piece piece of cheese with you when you go out? Yeah. So you'll never know when you'll meet a rat. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Sheldon? Will you please get back to the question? What city is mentioned in the poem, there is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside the house. Washing done here every day.
4: The lady does washing, I take it? Yes,
2: yes, yes.
4: Washing done. Now
2: what city is that?
4: At least the lady is clean, isn't she? Oh, <laughs> clean.
2: Well, that's right. No matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Ain't this, so? That's what I always
4: say. You must get awfully tiresome, you know, saying that all the time. Imagine always saying, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Yeah, that's no right. matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. No matter how poor. How oh, are you cut
6: it out, please? Cut it out. Uh, you know, I am
4: getting I'm getting tired already. You are. You should be. Yeah, suppose Patrick Henry stood up in Congress and said, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Oh, but Patrick Henry didn't
2: say that. How do you know he didn't say it? She was sitting in the gallery. <laughs> I was not. I was bowling that night. You were
5: all <laughs> right. Let's get on here.
2: Look, can we please answer the question? Yeah. What was the question, sir? No matter how poor you are, you can always be. Wait a minute. It's about a city. I'll try once more. Lady pours a mouse does washing. Washing done. Now, Mr. Sheldon, what city does that suggest to you? Now, concentrate. Yeah, I'll
5: concentrate.
2: Now, let me see. Lady poor as a mouse. You know, I don't seem to be able to fit the mouse in there. Never mind the mouse. Wait, I got it. I good, got it. Good, good. St. Louis. St. <laughs> Louis? Sure,
5: St. Louis, Missouri. they are
2: And now for a change, let's hear from our contestants. We've invited two members of the studio audience up here on the stage. They can ask the experts a question. If they get an intelligent answer, we give them four pre-war white sidewall tires. If they don't, if they don't, we give them two discarded soda straws. Who have we first, Mr. Roberts?
7: First I, Mr. Howard, we have Staff Sergeant Martin Goldberg of the United States Army Air Corps. Uh,
2: certainly is a pleasure, Martin Goldberg. We are very glad to have you with us. Thank you for coming up. How do you feel?
8: Feel fine. Well,
2: you certainly do look like you have quite a lot of decorations there, young fella, haven't you? Yes. Uh, what is that? What are they? Is that the uh, oak leaf cluster? Three of them, isn't it? Distinguished Flying Cross and ML with three oak leaf clusters. Oh, the Distinguished Flying Cross. That is very, 30, very nice. Yes, sir, son. It looks to me like you've been around. With all those things. De- remind me to show you my Elks tooth sometime. We are. <laughs> we are very glad. Would you mind telling us just a little about yourself? Where's your hometown? Would you care to tell us?
4: Brooklyn, New York.
2: Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. <laughs> I used to walk. I used to work in that town.
4: Ah, oh, stop, will you please? Yeah, I was. I was a
2: sergeant in the dentist's office.
4: Uh-huh. You were you were a sergeant in the dentist's office? I used to drill teeth. Ah. Oh,
5: <laughs> Look,
4: I say, uh, wasn't uh, that kind of boring? That was kind of boring. Never mind, Mr. sort of a mouth-to-mouth existence. Look, ladies, gentlemen, we have a guest standing here. I say, Sergeant, you know, uh, Sergeant Goldberg, I was in the last war, yes. And well do I remember one night we gave a party for our colonel, Colonel Berry. Colonel Berry. I was collecting tickets at the door when a lady and her daughter arrived, and I said, sorry, madam, but you can't get in without a ticket. Yeah, uh what'd she say? She said, young man, we are the Berries. Well, I it? said I don't care if you're the cat's pajamas. You can't get in without a couple. Right. I expect Nice couple. He was right. Orders is orders. Uh, pay
2: no attention to Martin Goldberg. They're just getting near their feeding time. What did you do, uh, what did you do before you entered to service? Just
9: got out of high school.
2: Oh, out of high school. Isn't that fine? Well, you certainly have gone a long way. And I'm sure we're all proud of you, and they're all proud of you in Brooklyn. We're very happy to have you with us. Yeah, what's your first name, honey? No. <laughs> Martin, Martin. Martin? Martin. Oh, isn't that a nice name? Yes. Oh, it's a pretty name. Okay. Ain't he cute? He's a nice boy. Oh, he's a cute boy. Oh, he's a... Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, my. Will you cut it out? He's not Frank Sinatra. Cut it out, will you? Yeah, well, well, you can just call me Vanishing Cream. Vanishing Cream. I'm so soft and soothing. Yeah. And you're good till the last chin. <laughs> Please submit a lunch captain and pick out a question for us, Martin, please. Just any question you get a hold of, and would you be kind enough to read the question right into the microphone, if you will?
4: What season of the year follows summer?
2: Thank you. That's very good. (laughs) Did you hear the question, gentlemen? There are four seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Now, what season follows summer? Now, that's a trick question, and I'm not going to fall for it. (laughs) Fall Mr. Sheldon. Alford, you said. You you practically answered the question. He did? Yeah. What did you say, Mr. Sheldon? I said it was a trick question and I wasn't going to go for it. You didn't say go for it. Mr. Howard, what is a gopher? Oh. You... <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a gopher.
2: You're a gopher?
4: Every girl I see, I go for Ah, <laughs> I don't get it.
5: Get up, get Captain
2: McCartney, please. Why don't you bury yourself in a good book? Or better still, just bury yourself. Can anyone tell me about the season? Well, there's salt, vinegar, Never and mind, Look, never mind. What
4: comes after summer? You know, Mr. Howard, I always hate to see the summer go, you know? So do I. I had a wonderful time this summer. Stopped at the nicest hotel up in the mountains. Had a lovely view from the window, you know. One morning I woke up, it was gone. What happened? She moved.
5: She moved.
4: <laughs> there was a nice hotel where I was this summer, though. Oh, did you have a nice room? No, I lived in the bar,
2: in, in the, the bar of the hotel. Couldn't you get a room? Not with a bar in it. Not with oh. a bar. Look, <laughs> look, the question is not about hotels, it's about seasons. Uh, you're not getting tired, are you, Martin? We'll be okay. with you in a minute here. Well, if he is can Come over here and sit to the side of me. Should be tired. Come over here, Martin. Never mind. Leave him alone. Martin, if you want to wait until after the program's over, I know know a cute little place called the Open Door. Yeah, Mr. Connell, you couldn't get through an open door. (laughs) Let's get on here. The question, let's get back to the question, gentlemen. Look, will you please answer it and answer it quickly. What season comes after summer? What season? Let me put it another way. What season comes before winter? How do you like that? Well, wait, minute. what are you doing? Changing the question? I'm not changing the question.
4: I mean, we we can't answer the questions, you know, if you keep changing them all the the time.
2: The same answer will do for both questions. I didn't know we had two questions. There is not two questions. I just phrased the question differently. What was the first question? It was about a woman who took a mass to church with. Uh, me. It was God. You know, the last time I went to church, I was insulted.
4: You were insulted in church?
2: Yeah, as soon as I came in, the usher said to me, Chew. God. <laughs> with the next question. Here it is. Now, pay attention. Yes. I will sing a few bars of a song. You were to tell me what kind of hair the girl has that is mentioned in the song. Professor Novick, will you give me an arpeggio? Uh, give me an aspen. Never mind. <laughs> K.C. Waltz with a straw, very blonde, and the band played
6: on...
4: You know, Mr. Howard's singing is out of this world. She was out with us.
2: band
6: played on.
4: With a voice like
2: that, he ought to go, places. Yeah, I can only think of one place. I know
4: that, place. My wife gave it to me this morning. He married the
2: girl with the strawberry curl. And the band played. Thank you, music lovers. You know, That's... I could listen to Mr. Howard singing until the cows come home. You
4: could listen to me sing till the cows, the cows come, come home. home. Yes, but when the cows come home, I'd rather listen to them. Okay, okay. Besides, you get milk besides. You get milk besides. That's just utter
2: nonsense. Okay, let's get
6: on. Mr. Oh. Howard. Yeah. Do you know all of me? Why not take all of me? Miss
2: McCowell, I'd need a ten-ton truck to take all of you. Now, look, what kind of hair did the girl have in the song? The girl that waltzed with Casey. Was that the Casey that went to the back and struck out?
4: Mm -hmm. He must have played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, wait a minute. You know, my father was a baseball player. Your father
2: was a baseball player, yes, and you were his first era. Let's (laughs) get on. I I went to a baseball game last week for the first time. Yeah, Yeah. how'd you like it? Oh, it was too noisy. Yeah? Yeah, I stood up to see where the ball went, and some guy in the back hollered, Down in front! Sit down in front.
4: Yeah, what'd you say?
2: I
5: told him I didn't bend that way. You didn't bend, Bob. Please.
3: Yes, we have, Mr. Howard. And now I should like to introduce to you storekeeper third class, Mary Howie of the Wave. Well,
5: well, how do you do? Uh,
2: Good evening, Miss Howie. How do you feel this evening? Oh, just wonderful. Well, you certainly do look delicious, I will say that. (laughs) Where is your hometown, would you care to tell us? Elizabeth, New Jersey. Elizabeth, New Jersey. I you know from home now. To Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Oh, I have a girl that lives over there. Oh, you, you do? Mean, you see, my girl, a nice girl, but she don't seem to like me anymore. She does? No. She I to... wonder how I could get her to make me make her love me. How you could get her to make her yeah,
4: love me? Well, oh, it's very easy, Mr. Shelton, old boy. Just call on me, you know. Yeah? Or rather, and I'll tell you what to do, do you see? Yeah,
3: what
4: do you do? You uh, you call on her with some flowers, a box of candy, yeah. and then you go in the parlor and yeah. sit on the divan. you see, and then yeah. you put out the lights. Yeah, then what? Then you send for me. I...
2: Oh,
5: okay. <laughs> Now.
2: Let's get on here. Uh, we're very glad to have you with you. Pay no attention. What did you do before you entered the service, Miss As
8: I a contometer operator. You were a what? Contometer operator.
2: Yeah? yes,
5: so. <laughs> <laughs> that,
2: that must be nice work. Uh, what is the duties of a, uh, one of those operators? A barometer? No, no, don't you try it.
5: I can't say it. <laughs>
2: Well, what, what do you do? What do you, uh, some kind of a, an intricate machine or
10: something? Oh, yes, it's very intricate. It is? <laughs> it does all the work for you. It's... Oh, does it work yes, for you? It does.
2: Has it got brains? <laughs> I
10: suppose it does.
2: I wish you'd send it over here for McNaughton or Sheldon. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very, very glad to have you with us. Uh, uh, would you kindly do us a favor and reach into the dunce shop there and pick out a question for us, please? Any question does. you get a hold of? Oh, that's Howard. Mm. Don't she look sweet in her uniform? Yeah, does she, she, does. she does. She does. Oh, yes, she sure looks smart. Yes, yeah, she you does. You know, I try to look smart and neat. Yes. Yeah. But I have dishpan hands. You have. You have a dishpan face, too. <laughs> now, if you will help us out by reading the question there in the microphone, we'll be very, very happy.
10: Who was Queen of England during
8: the Victorian era?
2: Oh, that's very good. Who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? Did you hear that? I'm afraid we're going to have a lot of trouble with that baby.
4: Miss McNaughton, you should know that question. Oh, indeed, I do. I know the question very well, Mr. Howard. Yes? I'm afraid I don't know the answer. Oh, I... <laughs> I
2: was afraid of that. Uh, Miss McConnell, uh, do you know who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? No, no. That was before my time. I see. Miss McConnell, there wasn't any time before your time. <laughs> Down. Who was king at that time? What do you mean who was king? Who was king the, of England? King of the? Yeah. You mean Victoria's husband? He, he was not king. He no. was uh, Prince Consort. I was at the concert last Bach night. Ah, cut it out! It was lovely.
4: Yeah, really. What, what did they play? Bach. Bach. They played Bach at the concert. Bach. I've never played that. I like gin rummy. I. Know. So do I,
2: but it's hard to get gin. <laughs> Gentlemen, will, p- will you please concentrate on the question? It's about music. About music. I'm talking about the Victorian era. It lasted from 1837, I believe, to 1901. That was around the gay 90s, wasn't it? That's right. That was about around the time of the gay 90s. You know, those were the good old days when women wore skirts that trailed in the ground. Yeah. And we used to trail the skirt And you used to... <laughs> I, Mr. Shelton. I remember those days. Yeah. I used to wear a bustle. Yeah. Don't you think it's about time you took it off? <laughs> <laughs> ah, those good old days, you know, when Big Ben was a watch. When Big Ben was yes. a watch. You remember those, too, do you Victor? Way back.
5: Yes.
2: All right. Is there any chance of getting back to the question again? Yes, Jones? go right ahead. Go right do ahead. you remember the question? Something about, uh, uh yeah, about Big Ben? Oh, no, uh, please, cut it out. Who was Queen during the Victorian era? the Victorian era. Now, that ought to be quite simple if you concentrate. She was Queen of England. Queen of England. Very popular and very a very popular. well-liked queen. Queen uh-huh. of England. Was there I, any other thing, any other little hint you could give me? Well, I could, a little hint I could give you. Yeah. I could tell you, Mr. Sheldon, that the Victoria Hotel was named after. Oh, I got it, I got it. Good. Helen Hayes. Helen Hayes. Helen <laughs> I meant to thank you, Mary Howie for being with us. It was very sweet of you to come up here, and may I wish you a lot of luck wherever you may be. just speak the English language fluidly, doesn't he? Fluidly? Yeah. No, I'm going to ask him for his phonograph right after the broadcast. For his phonograph? Because he speaks the English language fluid. Mm -hmm. You eat fluidly, too, don't you? No, not necessarily. I'm on a diet. I see. Come over and water my lawn if you're on a diet. I see. I'm going to diet pink, I think. Uh (laughs) Let's get on here. And let me correct you, uh, Mr. Sheldon. You don't mean phonograph. No? You mean his autograph.
4: Oh, no, no, Mr. Howard. I beg to differ, old man. Oh. An autograph is something the Western Union sends you.
2: I see. You're a way off, Mr. McNaughton. Not That's really? telegraph. No, the Western Union sends you a paragraph. Ten words. Ten words. I see. Nice <laughs> let me inform you a paragraph is just a subdivision in writing. Oh, no. Let me inform you, Mr. Howard. You're wrong. A paragraph is an animal with a long neck. An animal with a long neck? animal with a long wait neck? Wait a minute, that's giraffe. giraffe? A odd looking creature with shapeless legs, shapeless body, and the only sound it can make is a stupid croak. Now we're back to Miss McConnell again. Uh- <laughs>
1: that would never end. <laughs> I uh, didn't
0: realize they played so much music on the Armed Forces uh, radio service. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, they do sometimes and uh but anyway,
0: I kind of wait w- wait, I think you should know. Um, the answer to the first question was Washington? Yes. <laughs> the answer to here. the second question was of course fall. Yes. And the third question was strawberry, strawberry blonde. blonde. That's right. And the fourth question was naturally Queen Victoria. Victoria
5: yeah.
1: <laughs> so it, you and I were both. I guess we pass. I guess we pass We are
0: not course. ignorant. We're, no, that's
1: right. <laughs> but you know, I, I those that little show was silly. But sometimes when I'm when I'm, it, when I'm it feeling, sounded
0: like vaudeville.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much what it is, and I, lo- I love vaudeville, and, and uh, but yeah, I know you always tell me I'm old, and uh, no,
0: I love vaudeville too. Uh,
1: but uh, are <laughs> you tell me I'm getting old? One of the two,
0: uh, uh, either or.
1: But you know, when I'm when I'm not feeling good, when I'm down, kind of got the blues, which hardly ever happens to me but it does occasionally then i can listen to something like that and yeah i feel better yeah so anyway um i hope y'all enjoyed that and um the next one is um uh, our kids show last week i did well, it's
0: um, not a kids show; more like a adult. Yeah, a show, super
1: superhero kind of thing. Yeah, uh, they had it where I got it from. They had it in the juvenile section. So, uh, um, but anyhow, um, you made me lose my thought.
0: You were but talking about the kids show.
1: Oh yeah. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm I need a coach all the time. <laughs>
0: right.
1: But we got um this next one. It's you know, last oh yeah, last week uh I did shows that were kinda geared to towards um smaller children. So this week I kinda wanted to do something that was kind of geared more toward the adolescent set. So and the Blue Beetle he kinda is and um he's he, he kind of reminds me of the shadow in the fact that he he can make himself invisible, but um, that's the only thing that's like the shadow. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, what's the name of this episode? I forgot.
0: Finesse in diamonds.
1: Yeah, no wonder I couldn't think of that. Finesse in diamonds. So here we go. Enjoy.
5: the underworld,
11: a flash comes a mysterious, all-powerful character who is a problem to the police,
5: but a good saver for
11: law. In reality, they a death, I will be told, by everyone, but suspected by none of being the Blue Beetle. As the Blue Beetle, he hides behind the spray of glass and a suit of impenetrable
5: blue-chain armor, flexible as silk, but stronger than steel.
11: Today's episode of the Fox feature, The Blue Beetle, is entitled, The Net in Diamonds. The wealthy and beautiful wife of Benjamin Bannister, the oil magnate, claims to have been robbed of the famous Bannister diamond necklace, along with other jewelry of lesser value. A peculiar fact of the case is that there appears to have been two robberies. The first, as she was leaving the Starlight Club, a famous dance rendezvous, and another at some unknown time. Apprehension of folks who stripped the diamond necklace from her throat just outside the starlight club Disclose the fact that the necklace they stole was a fake But the real necklace is still missing As our story opens, Patrolman Dan Garrett, who is really the Blue Beetle Is discussing the case with his friend and confidant, Dr. Brown chemist. Danny, is this banister jewel robbery? is a very interesting case Yes, it is From what you've read in the papers Do you believe Mrs. Bannister's social secretary is guilty? Well, the evidence so far is rather convincing. Some of the jewelry was found in the girl's room. But couldn't that have been planted there by the crooks? Yeah, that's possible. Mrs. Bannister doesn't directly accuse her social secretary, Lucy Ridgway, according to this newspaper. But the real necklace is still missing. Yes. Mrs. Bannister claims Lucy Ridgway brought the necklace to her from the safe and fastened it about her neck just before she left for the starlight flap. That must have been a fake necklace. Yes. But that still doesn't prove anything against Lucy Ridgeway. According to Mrs. Bannister, she and the Ridgeway girl are the only ones who know the combination of the ball tape, except Mr. Bannister, who was out west somewhere on business. The, uh, diamond necklace was insured for half a 1000000 wasn't it? Yes. Are you, uh, are you going to work on this case, Danny? Uh, I don't think so, Doc. The Acme Insurance Company has its own investigators, the best in the country. And besides, it's out of the Blue Beetle's line. No unfortunate individuals are involved. Uh, there's the phone. Uh, Excuse me, Danny. Hello? Oh, hello, Charlie. Uh, yes, yes, he's here. Uh, just a moment. Uh, it's for you, Danny. Uh, Charlie Storm. Star. Hi, sir. Hello, Charlie. What's on your mind? What? Really? Your girl's sister? Oh, I didn't know that. What? Yes, sure. Sure, you bet I will, Charlie. Sure, goodbye. Sounds like the blue beetle will be sharpening his nippers soon. Yes, Charlie Storm just told me Lucy Ridgeway is his girl's sister. And he wants know? me to see what I can do to help her out of this jam. Well, what are you going to do? Have a uh, talk with the Ridgeway girl, and then get Mannigan and drive down to the Bannister place and interview Mrs. Bannister. The commissioner will assign me to the case. I think he'll do that all well. right. If he doesn't, I'll have to operate entirely as the Blue Beetle. I'm not ready to do that until I can get certain information with you. Good luck to you, Danny. Thanks, Doc. I'll be back later. I'll, I'll have know. your Blue Beetle chain armor and mask and equipment ready when you need. That's fine. Well, Tom, it looks as if I was going to be up to my neck in diamonds, But they won't be around my neck. <laughs> I'm Dan Garrett, Mr. Ridgeway, a friend of Charlie Stone. Oh, yes? Charlie asked me to do what I can to help you in this unfortunate case. I suppose you tell me what you know about this jewel robbery.
12: Well, all I know is that the night Mrs. Bannister was held up and robbed of what proved to be a joked diamond necklace, I was awakened by Mrs. Bannister and some police officers and questioned about the disappearance of a diamond necklace.
11: Were you aware of the fact that there were two? Almost identical
12: necklaces? Yes. Mrs. Bannister told me some time ago her husband had urged her to have a duplicate necklace made of imitation garments to wear when she went out in public. She had such a necklace made, and all the necklaces were delivered by the jeweler, I put both boxes in the safe. You and Mrs. Bannister were the only
11: ones who knew the combination of
12: that safe. Mr. Bannister
11: also knew it. He's away, I believe. That's right. Well, what can you tell me about Mrs. Bannister's private life that might be helpful to in solving this mystery? What has she done recently, and, and whom has she been associated
12: with well, I'm afraid I couldn't do things like that. Well, I
11: assure you, Miss Ridgway, the information will only be used to right any wrong that has been done.
12: Well, Mrs. Bannister has been losing heavily at bridge recently. She, she's been rather more than attentive to Don Ricardo, the orchestra leader at the Starlight Club, since Mr. Bannister's been away, and... And last week she had a long interview with Mr. McCaffrey, a private detective from the Ethney Insurance Company.
11: Before the robbery? Yes. Have you any yes. idea what the interview was about?
12: No, but, but I noticed she seemed quite thoughtful last that and a bit more cheerful. As if something had relieved her mind. Hmm,
11: that's very interesting.
12: Oh, please, when can I get out of this horrible place? The disgrace of it being put into jail like a common thief. No, no, no,
11: no. Don't worry, Miss Ridgeway. I'm on your side and I'll do what I can for you. Well, I think that for the present, you're safer in than out of jail. Well, Donnie, I got the commissioner to assign us to this banister case like you asked me to. Now, where do we go from here? We separate at the next corner. Watch that. So, what's half of the game is this? Sorry, Mike, but we've got to work fast in this case. And we can get results quicker if we each work on separate leads. That way, we'll still be solving the case together. Okay. Well, what do we do? Well, you run over to the Bannisters townhouse and interview Mrs. Bannister. Well, what do I ask her? Ask her what her interview with McCaffrey of the Acme Insurance Company was about. And also ask her if it's true that she's lost heavily at bridge recently. Well maybe she'll refuse to answer the questions. That doesn't matter. The important thing is to study her reactions to the questions. Okay. Well, uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to make some important phone calls. I'll see you later at your corner. Okay, but uh, if Mrs. Bannister throws me onto my ear, I'd take you across me knee and paddle your pants. <laughs> if you can be thrown out of your on your ear by a woman you're too weak to paddle my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's ready for you, Danny. Oh, uh, thanks, Doc. I will to take the magic ray and the Blue Beetle flashlight with me tonight. I've got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to travel light. Uh, where's the Blue Beetle heading for tonight? The Strap, arms uh, apartment. Uh, who's your host? Don Ricardo, the orchestra leader. According to the information I got over the phone from Charlie Storm. Is Ricardo in on this uh, robbery?
12: I don't know, but I'm going to find out.
11: Uh, what about this McCaffrey, the insurance company's investigator? You know, there's something fishy about him.
5: I called the office today, but he wasn't in.
11: Did Mannigan get any valuable information about Mrs. Bannister? Just a Park Avenue manor and a threat sort of legal action against the city if they sent any more policemen ask impudent questions. Oh, poor Mannigan. <laughs> I bet his face was red. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, i got to be going, Doc. The carter was just about playing his closing number at the Starlight Club. Come so on, Doc. Diamonds are trumps, and the Blue Beetle is
5: playing to win. <laughs>
11: Quit playing cards and have another look at their necklace. Well, there it is. Oh, boy, they sure are pretty messy spotless. Yes. We should realize quite a sum of money on them. Is it not so much? About a hundred grand. What? Uh, is that all? Sure. The necklace has to be broken up. The diamonds sold separately. Oh. Well, then there's a part of the insurance your company pays over to the bonus today. Hey, Mac. That's right. We'll get 20% of that. Well, that's another hundred grand. With my share, I can go home to South America and marry my sweet senorita. Say, where's the fence? You said he was coming over tonight and making a bid on these sparklers. He'll be here in a minute. That's probably him now. Open the door, (laughs) (laughs)
5: Carter. No,
11: Peter, I, I do not know always... oh, he's a master. He runs down criminals. I'm afraid you're on the wrong track, Miss uh, There are no criminals here. Where? What is it you want? I'd like to talk with you alone, Ricardo. Oh, but what about? As you see, we are playing cards. Now, mm. well, why not deal me in? I'll make the fourth and fridge. Uh, we're expecting the other player any minute. And uh, these are the stakes here, this string of glass beads? That, he caused them oh, to... Trigger. Your friend seems to resent my calling these things beads. Oh, drop that necklace, Brookfield! Right. Quiet, Trigger, I said. Uh, you must pardon my friend, Brookfield. He's laboring under the impression that those glass beads in that necklace are real diamonds. So I get it. I must say this necklace is a very good imitation of the famous Bannister necklace. Ah, that must be your fourth at bridge, so I'll be going. I'll talk with you some other time, Ricardo. By the way, gentlemen, if your visitor is by any chance a fence to whom you hope to sell the necklace, I'm sure he'll verify the word of the Blue Beetle. Those diamonds are fakes. Were the diamonds in the possession of Ricardo, Mac, and Trigger fakes? And if they were fakes, who has the real diamond necklace? Can the Blue Beetle pick up another clue and locate the missing gems? Or is Lucy Ridgeway an accessory to the real thief? The famous Bannister diamond necklace, valued at $500,000, is missing. Lucy Ridgeway, Mrs. Bannister's social secretary, is in jail, accused of being implicated in the theft. So far, two necklaces, both fake but resembling the real necklace, have been discovered. One which was stripped from Mrs. Bannister's neck by Thug as she was leaving the Starlight Club. And another by the Blue Beetle, which he found in the possession of Don Ricardo, leader of the Starlight Orchestra, and a man called Max, whom the Blue Beetle suspects of being McCaffrey, an investigator for the Acme Insurance Company. As our story opens, the Dan Garrett, who is secretly the Blue Beetle, is discussing the case with his friend and confidant, Doctor Franz, the chemist. You could have knocked me over with a feather when I picked up that necklace in Ricardo's apartment. And discovered it was a fake. He's second with a <laughs> and. That makes two faces. Yes. Uh, what about McCaffrey, Don Ricardo and Trigger, as you say he was called? I imagine I'll run into them again shortly. Could you arrest them? Only on suspicion. Remember, I caught them with a thick necklace as a Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetle can't testify in court. Yeah, that's right. It seems a shame. According to this morning's paper, Ricardo was sailing for South America tonight. What? Are you sure? Well, as I remember, he said Don Ricardo, oh, popular starlight sub yes. Officer, he said, is sailing tonight on the Cristobal for South America. Oh, I've got the stop him somehow. Yes, but how? The ship's sailed at midnight, doesn't it? I believe so. I've got it. We're picking up just as he's sailing, and holding him as a material witness in this case. At least it'll give us a little more time to run down, down the real thief. Will Ricardo's arrest scare off the others? I'll wait right until the last moment before sailing.
5: In the meantime, I've got a busy time ahead of
11: me. Can I have you, Danny? Uh, yes, sir. You might have your recording equipment hooked up to your telephone. But if I should call you at any time on my portable wireless telephone, you could record anything I pick up. All right, Danny. Uh, where are you going now? To get the combination of a Bannister safe from Lucy Ridgeway. I'll be back shortly and pick up the camera and photoelectric equipment. I may catch a thief with a camera. <laughs> Think you can double-cross me, Mrs. Bannister, and get away with it. You're mistaken.
12: But you yourself suggested the plans for hiding the necklace so I could collect insurance and pay off my gambling debt.
11: Yes, but the necklace you left in the safe was a fake. A fake? What, what do you mean? Just that. I took that necklace from the safe myself. The friend examined the necklace and declared it a fake. What's a fake? A male who disposes of stolen goods.
12: But you said nothing about disposing of the jewels. You said they were to be hidden for a while until I could raise the money to refund
11: the burglary insurance payment later when the jewels are found. Don't be a fool, Mrs. Bannister. Where could you ever hope to raise money to pay back the insurance? My husband, wouldn't... he would... not divorce you if he knew the facts in the case. good oh, pardon, ma'am, but there's a police officer outside, the patrolman Garrett, who wishes to speak to you. Wishes to speak to me? Well... What shall I do? He must have been waiting some time, madam. Why did we see him coming? Uh, what do you think, Mr. McCaffrey? Uh, I'll see him. It won't do uh, any harm. Very well. Uh, you may show him in with him. Very good, madam. You don't think he overheard anything, do you? No, no, He's only a cop. The troll and then get it. Good evening, Mrs. Bannister. Oh, boy. I see you are not alone. Uh, this is Mr. McCaffrey of the Anthony Insurance Company. Uh, he's as much interested in my uh, missing necklace as I am. I can well imagine. I just wanted to ask you to identify this photograph I have here. Well, that's my husband. And he's standing in front of our wall's safe. Uh,
13: what's Mr. that he has in
11: his hand? It's my necklace. Late sort of right this afternoon, by a secret device at your country estate. Then he had the real necklace all the time and is just putting it back in the safe. Perhaps. Well, Mr. McCaffrey, I suppose this will clear up your part in this case. Well, I will interview Mr. Bannister later. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, I'd better be going. I have a lot of details to attend to. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Bannister. Goodbye, Bye. Officer uh, uh, Garrett. I'll be seeing you. Yes, I'm sure of it, Mr. McCaffrey. <laughs> Did you record the Bannister-McCaffrey conversation earlier this evening, Doc? Yes, Benny. No. It. it wasn't very loud, but it's intelligible. good. I had the mouthpiece of the portable wireless phone against the wall while they were talking in the next room. Butler almost caught me. You've got enough to make it hot for the cat. Yes, and I'm going to make it hotter yet for him if my hunch is right. Well, what are you going to do? Well, as they say in bridge, the blue beetle is going to finesse in diamonds. You keep watch outside while I go in and rifle the safe. I've still got the combination Mrs. Bannister gave me. Okay, Meg. If okay, okay. you hear anybody coming, give me the owl call. Sure, Mac, I got you. I'll pick up the real necklace this time, and we'll join Ricardo and Peter real on the Cristobo tonight. I've always wanted to go to South America. Well, you're practically on your way. Now keep your eyes and your ears open. This is library. the library. There's a wall safe. Now, this is going to be easy. What's that? Many of these old houses are certainly spooky. Now nope, for the safe. Right to twelve. Left. Twice to six. Then right to ten. Yeah, that's got it. Somebody come. That's trigger's call. Here's the right. little necklace now to make our getaway. The Yes, the Blue
5: Beetle. Your what game
11: is, you is up, McCaffrey You double-crossing insurance investigator. Uh, sir, you know. Uh, the Blue Beetle knows everything. Hand over that necklace. Try and get it. That's just what I intend to do. Trigger! Call your gunman. I'll take him on, too. That's for justice. That's for Lucy Ridgway. And that's for the law and order. Uh, that's for the Blue Beetle. Uh,
5: he's
11: out cold. Hey, Mac. Come on, let's fail Hey, come on, get up. The cops will be here any minute. Move me up, Dom Is that the necklace? Yeah. It's on the floor. Where's the blue beetle? Over there on the floor. I come Yeah, Good work. Give me the necklace and let's go. We've just got time enough to make the boat. So long, blue beetle. I'll tell Ricardo you couldn't join us for a hand of bread. right down. What? Well, no, right, I won't call the police. I'll come along. Goodbye. Well, one minute to go and we'll be on our way to South America. One minute? That's a very long time. Don't worry, boys. Look, those men down there are ready to take in the gangplank and they hope they make it snappy. Noise is all of a Twitter. Don't lose your nerve now, Trigger. We're in the clear. Good look, the gangplank, is going away. We're uh, yeah, we're in real with a half a million dollars worth of jewels in our pockets. Shall it i to be that's a great idea. Good for relaxing the nerves. about uh, Trigger's? Well, if we only had a 4th with we'd we, <laughs> oh, oh, we oh, oh, Yes, oh, the oh, blue people, sh- you're fourth, sh- rich. And by him, by Trump. back when they rub him out. Hold it, Trigger. What's the got us. We can't get off the ship. A wise decision. Now, let's go up and visit the captain. Uh, just a minute, please. Are these the men, Blue Beetle? Yes. are Mr. Bannister. I ma'am. am. These are your men. And here's a photograph I took earlier this evening with my photoelectric camera of McCaffrey here at your wall safe. Well, that was the click I heard. That's right. Enough evidence to convict you. Now, I'll hand over the necklace to Mr. Bannister. Uh, here it is. Are these the real diamonds, Mr. Bannister? Yes, these are genuine. I put them in the safe myself when I got back from the west. I had them in a secret hiding place. I had a duplicate made, and apparently Mrs. Bannister had one made also. And we'll turn these men over to the captain, who will send them ashore with us under guard on the pilot boat. You can prosecute me. I don't wish to prosecute. I have the real necklace. My wife has confessed, and I have forgiven her. I wish to avoid scandal and forget this case as quickly as possible. Well, you see that Lucy Ridgeway is released from jail, and her name cleared, it shall be done immediately. And I've seen to it that she will lose nothing by her unfortunate experience. That's great. Well, the Blue Beetle's job is done. You crooks are getting off easy. Take the Blue Beetle's advice and stay away from York City. And so the Blue Beetle ended another racket, saved a foolish woman from the consequences of her first misstep, and store the good name of an innocent young girl. The moral of the story is, one falsehood leads to many, and one misstep may lead one farther and farther along the path of crime. Further adventures of the Blue Beetle will be presented in the next episode
5: of the Blue Beetle. <laughs>
11: Is a copyrighted Fox feature appearing in Mystery Men Comics Magazine and the Blue Beetle Magazine. The Blue Beetle is on the air twice a week on this same station. Consult the broadcast schedule in your local
5: newspaper. And don't forget to listen in to The Blue Beetle. <laughs>
0: I should note the preceding program was originally broadcast in two parts, and I edited out the well, that ending of the first part and the beginning of the first part. Sorry, the introduction credits and all that stuff, I edited it out and made it one continuous episode. So, uh, people can understand. Uh, Am I muted or unmuted? You're unmuted. Oh, okay. So Uh, I could also tell everybody that I'm an avid comic book collector. And I have been collecting comic books for a while. And until graphic audio came along, I thought comic books were lost to me. Um having said that with the advent of graphic audio and of course now these radio series, it's it's it, I'm really happy that it's part of my life again. Though I can understand why um those classic series ended because, I mean, they're just so hokey. (laughs) I mean, I honestly believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone cornered the market on dumb sayings. (laughs) (laughs) But to say, oh, well, uh, something about diamonds around his neck (laughs) was the first time. Uh what? by the by the way there used to in the comic books there used to be uh three versions of the Blue Beetle. Uh the first was the Blue Beetle of the 60s which was his secret identity was Dan Garrett a, tel- a cop. Uh and then later in the 80s and 90s uh the blue beetle secret identity was Ted cord who used to be a, an apprentice of Dan Garrett and then Dan, and this is going to seem convoluted, but Ted cord was then murdered by Maxwell Lord, who turned out to be an evil telepath. And, and, until that point, they, they had made the Blue Beetle into an average person. Uh, for example, like Batman, with only special gimmicks and stuff like that. And, and of course, you know, um, a workout regimen, blah, 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 to make him uh, almost superhero-like. But, at that point, when Maxwell Lord killed him, they decided to incorporate a mystic component to the Blue beetle. and they created a scarab. That scarab came into possession into the possession of Shazam uh, otherwise known as Captain Marvel. and uh, when. Shazam died And the Rock of Eternity Was Destroyed In um Oh I forget the name of the series Oh yeah Crisis on Infinite Earths It came into the possession of Jaime Re- Reyes Of uh I think he was From Arizona or New Mexico One of those And uh it's amazing how you can make this stuff just seem interesting just by a of fle- just a little change, like the introduction of the scarab um, i mean I think that's Im- impressive i mean I, I i can't even i i mean what strikes me is that they called comic books magazines back then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always wanted to be able to read comic books. Yeah, uh, my my sissy would get them, mm-hmm. and she could read them. Sometimes she'd read them to me or read stuff in it. Yeah, but you know, I never had anybody sit down and read me a whole comic book. They just uh, didn't. Um, but I always wanted to be able to read them, but I never could. So I then I ne- so I never collected them. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, I guess I'll have to steal some of
0: yours sometime. Well, they're sitting in, the, in <laughs> my blue box. It was well, a blue box my granddad made me well, uh, I, for after- Christmas.
1: After the show is over, I'll just, you know, grease on over. over to your house. And, right. you know, riffle through them. Folks, mm-hmm. I'm I'm from Tennessee. He's from Toronto, Ontario. And <laughs> so I don't think I'll go too
0: <laughs> too quickly there, yeah. I mean, I do have the death of Superman. <laughs> so uh I mean that's worth some money. <laughs>
1: I'm not um I'm you know I'm I'm not a big superhero fan but um
0: so I the have, comics you liked were archie and jughead
1: uh, yeah and some of those others um yeah.
0: and graphic audio just introduced that series uh, Oh all right archie uh, and and the riverdale gang
1: um you know i, I sometimes i like superman but uh um my stepson that I I used to have a stepson back in the 80s and um um he loved his superheroes and yeah. uh when he first um w- when I first started taking care of him he um if he didn't want to do something he would bring superman up like um I was going to try to get him to go to to um a little Sunday school gathering Uh, like it it was the first weekend he was there and um, that might've been a little soon, but I felt like the sooner I got him into being with other kids, the better. Uh, But anyway, but he said uh, he, he didn't want to go. And uh, I asked him why he said, Superman has to work late.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And,
5: and,
0: uh, well, that's cute.
1: So one time, but, and, and his. And after superman his big his big man was he-man he he loved the he-man series oh my and God. um so um one time one time he uh he didn't get something done that i told him and he i said uh well you know why didn't you do it and he says Superman didn't have the powers to remember that, and I said, Well, Superman better find the
0: powers to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And how old was he at that time? Uh, he's about five. Oh, wow, he was cheeky, he was even cheeky Uh, back then, huh?
1: Yeah. But um are we ready to move on to the next one or are we still doing blue no. Beetle?
0: No, we're ready.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know if we had uh
0: no no I, to just, play those I just parts or like I said, I just wanted to point out the fact right. that it was broadcast originally as two episodes, but I turned it into one. Yeah.
1: Um so the next thing we're doing is um information please is that what we said i think Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a game show and this you know i'm not that it pays to be ignorant to me that's really not much of a game show it's funny but but, you know it's not like you think a real game show would be you know where they ask the question and somebody actually has to come up with the answer (laughs) but i guess that's why it pays to be ignorant (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um This next one, though, is kind of a quiz type thing. Uh, It's called Information Please. And it's like where somebody sends in these people send in questions. And if they use their question on the program, and I think I'm right that it has to be answered correctly, uh, then they get $5. But anyway,
0: is it it $5? I know there was one where they gave out a car.
1: Um, yeah, that would have either been this one or You Bet Your Life. Right. Uh, I, they might have got, I listened to this one the other day, but I didn't, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. Uh, Um, but anyway, uh, what's the name of this one?
0: Uh, Don Kieran.
1: Oh, uh, Don Kieran. I thought it was Joseph Kearns Maybe I'm getting him mixed up with somebody else But anyhow um, Hold on,
0: let me confirm it uh, My mistake John Kieran Kieran, yeah John Kieran Okay
1: So here we go
14: Information please Wake up, Mr. and Mrs. America. Time to stump the experts. The battle royal between the public and the experts is on again, in which the much-quizzed public turn the tables and quiz the experts. In this new national pastime, you get the opportunity to try and flunk the professors who have always tried to flunk you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, to make the revenge taste even sweeter, if you succeed in flunking the experts, you will be rewarded with a $5 prize. If you want to take part in this new popular national game, here's how it's done. Send us questions and the correct answers. If acceptable to our editors, they will be presented to a board of experts for the first time during each broadcast. Questions accepted will win $2 each for the person who submits them, and any questions the experts cannot answer will be rewarded with an extra $5. The contest of the public versus the experts will be refereed by Dr. John Erskine. Ladies and gentlemen, I present Dr. John
15: Erskine. Good evening ladies and gentlemen we have before us in the studio an intelligent audience and four brave men who will try to answer any question asked by anybody in the united states you've just heard them called experts that name will do for the present the four experts this evening are franklin p adams columnist of the new york post marcus duffield day news editor of the herald tribune bernard jaffe head of the physical science department of the Bushwick High School, and John Kieran, sports columnist of New York Times. Mr. Kieran is our special guest of honor. He'll get the hard questions. Each of these experts is at home in his field and ambitious in all the others. Mr. Adams is a great reader of books. He is also a writer of books. I don't refer to the same books. <laughs> He is also an expert in tennis and pocket billiards, as he confessed here last week. And since you read his column, you know he translates Horace from time to time and is fiendishly adroit in detecting a misprint or a mistaken spelling. In appearance, he is solemn, if not sinister. (laughs) He sits nearest to me at the end of the line. And this evening he's wearing a gray suit and a blue tie which stands for truth. (laughs) Mr. Duffield is remarkably informed about current events, but I understand that archeology span and prize fights have each an appeal for him. And when he is bored with politics, he reads science for relaxation. He sits at the other end of the line. In appearance, he is youthful and optimistic.
16: And this evening,
15: he wears a dark greenish suit with a gray shirt and a brownish tie. <laughs> Mr. Jaffe, who sits next to him, really knows science, but he is prepared to throw light on literature, music, sculpture, and poker. <laughs> In appearance, he is youthful but settled, and he wears a brown suit with a light brown tie, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Mr. Kieran, our guest of honor, is, as you know, a sports columnist. He sits next to Mr. Adams. That is, if you know the natural tendency of sports colonists, he is probably on the way to be a dramatic or literary critic, an authority on social, political, and economic questions, and on off days a humorist. I stand in awe of him. In spite of his gray hair, He has the eager look of the insatiable young. (laughs) And he can ask pointed questions as well as answer them. He wears a brown coat this evening with a spotted brown tie, which means the sporting spirit. These experts haven't seen the questions in advance. The questions will be addressed to all of them any one of them may raise his hand. If the question is composed of more than two parts, the four experts may consult among themselves. If any question or any part of a question is answered incorrectly, $5 is forfeited. When you hear the cash register ring, you will know $5 is being paid out to the lucky questioner. If there's any money left at the end, the experts will share it as a bonus here in the studio a number of people are waiting to ask the questions they sent in questions received from out of town listeners will be presented by your chairman. just a second now you hear that sound that's the experts the brains of the experts beginning click And here's the first question from Mr Fred Peyton Green of Buffalo, New York. The following questions refer to well known old time songs. Answer any four of them. First, what was everybody doing in the song Everybody's Doing It? Second, what happens after the ball is over? Third, where did boys and girls together trip the light fantastic? Four, into what vehicle was Josephine invited in the song Come Josephine? <laughs> Five, upon what seat, where she looked sweet, was Daisy invited to sit? <laughs> now, can you remember those questions, children, or shall I read them again? Read them again. Number one, <laughs> Mr. Adams, speaking for the board. What was everybody doing in the song? Everybody's doing it. Two, what happens after the ball is over? Three, do Wait. one at a time. And I'll, I'll Adam, get them. Do one, one at a time and I'll answer. Fine, Mr. Adams, volunteer. One, what was everybody doing in the song? Everybody's doing it. Turkey trot. Great. Two, what happens after the ball is over? Many a heart is breaking. Correct. (laughs) It's aching, but that's near enough. Three. (laughs) What's the question? Where did boys and girls together trip the light fantastic? On the sidewalks of NY. Correct. (laughs) Four. Into what vehicle was Joe invited in the song, "Come, Josephine. the Fiend"? In my flying machine. Absolutely correct, and you have four. <laughs> I'd be
16: glad, glad to question. sing them. I'd
15: be very glad to sing all of <laughs> 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 them. Look, Adams, that's where we part. Next question from Miss Pauline Goldstein, Malden, Massachusetts. In what sports are the following terms used: timing, football, puddle, squeeze play, and puck? Uh, just call them over again, and okay. I'll answer them. Karen will finish these off. Timing and golf. Football, tennis, huddle, football. Please play baseball, but hockey. That's very easy to make. I need the help of Mr. Adams. I'll ask him to repeat in a loud voice these words. Hello, folks, it was a tough fight. Mr. Adams, if you please? Hello, folks, it was a tough fight. Now, here's the question. Who were the first to hear that statement made by Mr. Adams? the people sitting here in the rear of this studio, or the people listening to this program in Los Angeles. Mr. Jaffe. The people listening over in Los Angeles. You want the reason for it? Yes. You don't need to give it what we'd like to hear. Well, I'll give the reason. Radio waves travel at a much faster pace than sound waves. In fact, sound travels 1,100 feet a second, and radio waves travel 186,000 miles a second. from Mr. mm-hmm. Mrs. Alice Tulisi, Watertown, Ohio. Name four ex-sovereigns, each of whom now is a man without a country. I'll try. I'll take a Mr. chance Duffy. on that, Mr. Doctor Erskine. Uh, Alfonso of Spain. Um, uh, Edward the Eighth of England. Very good. Rajadapok of Siam. How about about? a little help there? Yes, a little help out about the naked of Ethiopia. Good idea. Also, the German Empire. That helps us out. Except for Germany. That's right. We have down on the list, but that's all right. Poor King. Poor King. Good (laughs) here. Next next question from Mrs. Walter Guile. Of New York City. Now this is a good one. Why might a gentleman pass up a date with a melanoproic female? I will repeat the one important word, melanoproic. How do you spell it? M-E-L-A-N-O-C-H-R-O-I-C. Melanoproic. I'd be afraid of her. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Adams, rising. Well. Never heard of her. <laughs> Mr. Kieran. What
11: kind of man would it be that would be afraid of meeting this woman?
15: Uh, don't dodge it it's so, Mr. Kieran. Well, uh, melano, that comes from the Greek meaning black, doesn't it? Correct. And what does the uh, come uh, from? I. Uh, that's also a Greek word, I should say, on account kind of the CH in there but uh, what it uh, means, i told you mr karen was a wonder. you
5: see
15: he's up on the feet uh, but it's uh, what the heroic part means i don't know and uh, i think when you don't know it's a
9: good idea not to keep a date with a woman
15: <laughs> 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 i don't get the logic but the general idea is correct does the, the board all all hands up all right I'll tell them for their information that the melanin is alright, that means black or dark, and the croix means skin, and the name is applied by anthropologists to all dark-skinned people, and some gentlemen prefer blondes. <laughs> Next question, from Mrs. Whittich, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Here are four streets, each of which is associated with a famous character of literature. Can you name three of them? First, Baker Street. Second, Wimpole Street. Third, Quality Street. Four, Main Street. Mr. Kieran again. Why, just call them off. uh, First, Baker Street. That's the uh, residence of... uh, uh, the uh, famous uh, detective uh, fiction, uh, Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Now, the next one was what? Wimble, Wimble Street. Oh, well, that's Barrett. Uh, yes. Quality Street. Uh, I'll skip that one. I'm not quite sure. But Main Street, of course, is uh, uh, your red-headed friend with novelist. What's his name? <laughs> Mr. Lewis. Mr. are Well, <clears throat> you, you're, you, you're right, Mr. Karen. The uh, Wimpole Street in the uh, play on the Barretts and Quality Street, Barry's play, the character was Phoebe Thrussell that you were dodging there, and the Kennicots were the people in Main Street. Very good class. Next question, from Mr. Robert Robert Ensel, Weehawken, New Jersey. I spent my childhood and youth in Lee Hawken. I'm interested in this question. What man who later became president of the United States was defeated as candidate for vice president? What man who later became president of the United States was defeated as candidate for vice president? Mr. Duffield. I believe it was Mr. John Adams, the second president. I think he ran as vice president in the
7: beginning.
3: Doesn't sound right, but uh, for no, by your blood. luck, <laughs>
15: I don't think so. Thought you were up on current events, Mr. <laughs> stuff. Oh, sure. Franklin don't know oh, that's a... Quite right. Yeah. All so, have right. quite a quicker. Ah. He's defeated vice president, and now he happens to be president. Now... Here's one to Mr. Jack Levine of Toronto, Canada, and he's here to ask it himself. If someone went into a store and bought something made up of a piece of wood, glucose, water, and the fruit of the theobroma tree, what would he get? That's a stunning question. I'll, I'll, I'll read it again to see if I understand it. If someone went into a store and bought something made up of a piece of wood, glucose, water, and the fruit of the Theobroma tree, what would he get? I think I have it. Uh, I'd I'd like to have it anyway. Mr. Jaffe. It's a nice big lollipop. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Jaffe forgot to tell us the flavoring. It would be chocolate flavor. But that was that was pretty close. Now so far the penalties are, are very light, the class are holding out. Is that five? Well, we've lost five dollars so far. <laughs> uh, I mean the the question is have won five so far. Now what would be the correct strategy in the following imaginary play of football you are receiving a kickoff just behind your own goal line the ball bounces off your hands and rolls to a stop in the end zone should you fall on run it out or let it alone well it doesn't make you should fall on why you should the last that thing. is that is that is well, question. it's a touch
5: Yes. Okay. There's Correct. no play on it. Correct. All right.
15: Now we rise to another realm entirely. I don't know whether we rise. This is a question from Mrs. Priscilla LaPaola in New York City. Give the names of famous philosophers which rhyme, whose names rhyme with the following: tomato, Barbara Frecci, bottle, whiskey sour, and Snooty Dane? <laughs> <clears throat> Try them one by one. I think. How many do you want? There four. How many names do you want? Well, the question asked for the names. How far can you go? <laughs> what is the first one? Tomato. Plato. Right. What's the second? Barbara Fritchie. Nietzsche. Right. Bob. for the third. Aristotle. Right. Schopenhauer. Ha! Ha! <laughs> <laughs> you win. Right. Looney Dane. I imagine that's uh, William James. You're correct, and I apologize. You <laughs> would have been correct on the other. Now, is an oxygen tank necessary to sustain human life in the troposphere? Okay. This question comes from Edward Harrington, Philadelphia. I'll take that, uh, Dr. Royston. Mr. Doctor. An oxygen tank is not necessary in a troposphere. The troposphere extends to a height of about five or six miles. And life can be sustained without oxygen there. <laughs> the glass is very solid tonight. <laughs> Next question from Miss Margaret Lawrence, New York City. Name a poet a prize fighter and an aviator whose names are strikingly appropriate to their profession. A poet, a prize fighter, and an aviator whose names are strikingly appropriate to their profession. Try the poet first. Well, there was a poet named Aikenside. (laughs) I'll rule rule that correct. I have the aviator, Dr. Burston. Frank Fawkes. Pardon? Frank Hawks for the aviator. Great. We still have a prize fighter. Prize fighter. Well, I don't know whether he's a prize fighter or not, but he goes in the ring and his name is Bear. Max Bear. (laughs) I don't think I qualify Mr. a security. Is that a penalty, I think? Well, uh, I think there's a, a fighter, he's not very good good one named Stryker. You don't mean Hitler? i <laughs> 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 Just for what? <luck. laughs> <laughs> Hitler. I'm reminded I should tell you what we were fishing for here. A prize fighter named Armstrong. (laughs) That's a better name for a detective. (laughs) Next question. I think to be asked from the studio, I'm not sure, Mr. Wally Freed of New York. Mr. Freed. Will you name the Supreme Court justice appointed by President Roosevelt in his first administration, and one in his second administration? question is, can we name the Supreme Court justice appointed by President Roosevelt in his first administration, and an appointment <clears throat> in his second administration? I think I Mr. can answer. I'll try anyhow. I'll give the second one first. I'm yeah. sure of that. That's Justice, Mr. Justice Black. And I think that uh, Mr. Justice Cardozo was appointed during his first term. Well, um, one error. One error. Very
5: sorry.
15: One hit. No appointments in the first administration. Mr. Hoover appointed Mr. Cardozo. And in the second administration, I think the question was a little bit tricky. Uh, I should say so. It was Mr. Black. There's also Mr. Reed, was there not? And there are two in the second administration, none in the first. Next question, Miss Helen Rugen, New York City. <laughs> she offers us the following unfamiliar second stanza of a very famous poem. And we're going to ask the experts to supply the first stanza. Now this is the second stanza. One day she went upstairs when her mother, unawares, was in the kitchen, occupied with meal. And she stood upon her head in her little trundle bed and then began hurraying with her heel. First stanza. That's the 2nd they <laughs> You're all shaking their heads. Never heard of it in their lives. Never. Give up? Give up. Give up. There was a little girl, and she had a little curl. <laughs> <laughs> the experts look particularly blank. I'll give them a moment to recover. Here's a question from Mr. Luke Raviella. From Aston, New York. Select four of the following, and tell us what sort of creature each one is. Now listen carefully. Number one, the laughing jackass. Two, the titmouse. Three, the ladybird. Four, the Chuckwills' widow, and five. The brown creeper. Mr. Kieran. You have to tell all five of them? No. Select four. All right, you call them all. Number one, the laughing jackass. That's a bird. A bird, correct. Two titmouths. Well, that's another bird. Correct. Right around here. Three ladybirds. I beg your pardon? I beg your pardon? Three ladybirds. I don't know that one. I know that one. Mr. Jaffe. That's a beetle. Correct, Mr. Jaffe. Chuck Will's Widow. That's uh, the uh, southern equivalent of our Whipple Will of this area. Correct. And Five Brown Creeper. Brown Creeper is a small accessorine bird that uh, feeds on... Uh,
9: insects.
5: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
15: correct. <clears throat> and I don't know how with so much brains in the, in the class we have piled up the. A- Total number of penalties $20 so far. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> Next question. From Mrs. Herbert J. Hayes, Waterbury, Connecticut. With what person do you associate each of the following phrases? Number one, the little flower. Two, the greatest showman on earth. Three, the Swedish Nightingale, four, the Wizard of Menlo Park, and five, Old Hickory. Oh, no. Old class, but who put up your hand first, children? I didn't say. Was it Mr. W, there? Mr. W? That's right. Number one, The Little Flower. Fiorella LaGuardia. Number two, The Greatest Showman on Earth. The Barnum. Number three, Swedish Nightingale. Florence, uh, oh, wait a minute, huh? Well, go on to the next, I'll sing of her when I come back. Uh, <laughs> Four, The Wizard of Menlo Park. Thomas A. Edison. Five, Old Hickory. Andrew Jackson. And three, The Swedish Nightingale. Oh, you're back there again. let <laughs> sing it together.
5: Jenny Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Just an duet from Mr.
15: Garrett and <coughs> Mr. Adams. <coughs> Next question. The Nightingales of the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> from Mr. C.F. Smith, Brooklyn, New York, and I think he's here.
11: Explain three of the following <coughs> slang expressions, telling the game from which it was derived. One, behind the eight ball. Two, he couldn't get to first base. 3, Ace in the Hole, 4, Four Flesher.
15: I'll read the question again, though I'd, uh, if I had time I'd argue with Mr. Smith as to whether they are slang expressions, <clears throat> I believe they are professional and highly technical. The first is behind the 8 ball, second he couldn't get to first base, third is Ace in the Hole, Four is four flusher, and the jury of the class are asked to explain the meaning of thrill. I yield to Mr. Adams. <laughs> Mr. Kieran yields to Mr. Adams. Behind the eight ball is supposed to come from pool, but it doesn't. It comes from a game called eight ball, which is uh, a black ball, and uh, is uh, <clears throat> roughly uh, stymies the player. What's the other one? The next is he couldn't get to first base. That comes from the game of American baseball. Uh, three, uh, "ace in the hole," stud poker, and four four flusher, draw poker. And what does it mean? Well, it's supposed to mean a uh, a man who uh, is not is uh, pretentious. And who uh, hasn't got That's all correct. the cards? That's correct. We have one more question here, and the time's getting short. I think you'd like to hear this from Mr. Jack Lippman, Brooklyn. I think he's here. Is Mr. Lippman here? Not our reader's question. Which of the following foods contains the highest percentage of water milk, macaroni, or oysters the oyster mr jaffe is right and we now know whether to begin the meal with milk or oysters or feed the child oysters or milk penalties total penalties do, 20 then. and i i must hurry on and tell you that we have no more questions for tonight total penalties 20. i offer you our thanks members of the board, all the folks that have submitted questions. Mr. Cross has a word for you about next week's contest. Good night, everybody, and come again. Thank,
5: Thank you, Dr. Espin.
14: We'll meet again next week with another mental struggle award with Mr. Clifton Padman officiating. The Board of Experts will include FPA, Franklin P. Adams, Marcus Duffield, Bernard Jaffe, and our guest of honor, Mark Connolly, author of Green Pastures. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>
1: Wow, I wasn't quite prepared for that to end. (laughs) My mind went, it was just like, I don't know, but that's a fun show.
0: It's amazing. Uh, You know what? I actually thought I knew some of the questions, but apparently I didn't.
1: (laughs) I I knew that last one about, about about the oysters, and then there was one or two more that I knew, but then... Uh, the rest of them, I was just kind of stymied.
0: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of what a four flusher was.
1: No, me either. <laughs> I guess I thought it was somebody that was that just kept
0: flushing the toilet, the yeah. toilet
1: four times. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and, and and here I am thinking, you know, getting to first base had to do with uh, with you know, kissing a girl.
1: I thought it came from baseball, but I wasn't Well, really. no,
0: it does come from baseball. But <laughs> yeah. It just meant, you know, kissing a yeah. girl. Second base is, well, I won't touch. Uh, right, this isn't This isn't uh, snap.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm a girl. Anybody want to kiss me?
0: <laughs> I will, darling. I, oh, all right, um, sweetheart. Yeah. Oh, there thank you, you.
1: Thank you. Uh, but just don't let your wife beat you up.
0: <laughs> no, that's fine. She's not listening, I don't think.
1: <laughs> oh well, you might can kiss me again. Um, <laughs> anyway, we better get on to the next show. Uh, right. This next show is called. Oh, we got two more. Am I right?
0: Uh, yes. Okay. Didn't want. Uh, three more actually.
1: Oh, three. What am I forgetting?
0: Mm. Well, you've got the whipped cream, but...
1: Yeah, I know, but the other two.
0: Well, you better learn to tell the truth, or you're going to have to face the consequences.
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot that I put that one on there. This was a fun show when I was a kid on television. Um, And it's kind of fun here, too. Uh, Truth or consequences. I remember back in the day when Bob Barker used to do it, but I don't think... He didn't do the radio show. Yeah. But we'll see who does (laughs) it. I I forgot. Here we go, Maestro.
5: D-U-Z, D-U-Z. D.U.Z. Put in your washing
6: machine. Take your clothes out bright and clean. When you do your washing, D.U.Z. does everything.
17: Hello there, we've been waiting for you. It's time to play
13: Truth or Consequences.
7: Yes, Truth or Consequences, the show that does everything on the air, brought to you by Daz, the soap that does everything in your walk. And here is a very excited master of ceremonies tonight, folks. Excited because he dreamed that Miss Hush would be identified tonight. So here he is, dream boy, Ralph Edwards.
17: Greetings, party players, and hi, Harlow. <laughs> Sit down, Harlow. Dream boy, my eye. Nightmare is more like it. Listen, listen to the list of prizes to be won by the one person in our Truth of Consequences audience, ...who identifies Miss Hush when we call on the phone. Now, Harlow, you check them off to make sure that uh, I mention every one of them. A 1947 Buick Super Convertible from the Howard Automobile Company. A Bendix home laundry with washer, dryer, and automatic ironer. A round-trip ticket for two via United Airlines to Honolulu... ...and a suite of rooms for two weeks' vacation at the Matson Lines Royal Hawaiian Hotel. A $2,000 Columbia House trailer completely equipped. A $1,000 diamond and ruby boulevard wristwatch. An RCA Victor radio phonograph combination plus a new 1948 RCA Victor television receiver and a library of 100 Red Seal records, an I.J. Fox $1,500 full-length beaver coat, an all-metal Luscombe Silver airplane from Dallas, Texas, $2,000 in cash, a $1,000 Popular Mechanics home workshop with a library of Popular Mechanics instruction books, a Servelle silent gas refrigerator, and Sherwin-Williams, with their cover-the-earth trademark paints, will paint your house inside and out. Of course, the winner should have a big red box It does, too. A real prize on wash day, right down the wash line, does, does everything. Now, in a few minutes, we'll make our first phone call in the Miss Hush contest... <laughs> oh! Oh, excuse me, a lady came up to my phone. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell at. It scared me a little. No, but, Al Pascal, you scared me now. Yeah. What is this lady... What is your name, please?
10: Mary Bytunas.
17: Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> well, hold on to it just a minute, Mrs. Voluptuous. <laughs> uh, a phone call in the Miss Hush contest in just a moment. First, a consequence or two. Where are you from, Miss what?
10: Sister of Illinois, Mary Bytunas is my name.
17: Yes, how do you spell your last name?
10: V-A-I-C-U-N-A-F.
17: Smith. Well, come in a little. There you are. Get in as close as you can to the microphone.
10: <laughs>
17: All right. Now we ask for gentlemen gentleman in the uh, audience who could speak Italian. This was one of the fellows. How do you do? What is your name, sir?
13: Kyron Papa. And are you? Yes. No, I'm not a father. You're not a father.
17: <laughs> How are you, Mr. Papa? Okay. May I present Miss Vituminous? How you do? <laughs> <laughs> Vicunis, you're from Cicero. From Cicero. What's your occupation?
1: Housewife and I raise canaries. You... <laughs> Look,
17: we got into rabbits last week Let's leave the canaries alone
4: How many... well, I didn't spit at you I know, I, know I
18: <laughs> <laughs>
17: How about, Mr. Poppy? you still here? Yes, sir You raise canaries, too? Yes. No Please say no How many canaries do you have?
18: Oh, about 200
17: Yeah, <laughs> Get those Angora rabbits that Faye had up there last time with Mrs. Uh, uh, Vesuvius's canaries, um, we'd be in a question. missus we'll have a little consequence. Okay, Mrs. Uh, okay. Mrs. Okay. All <laughs> right, Mr. Papa, you do speak Italian. Yes, ma'am. How do you... Yes, sir. S- uh, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I- we never know on this show what's going to happen. Listen, uh, how would you say hello, everybody? Here we go. Uh,
13: Buongiorno, Mr. Quante.
17: Yes, and uh, you, you said that again. All right. Aldura Richardson of Chicago gets $5 for this question from Chicago. Question from Chicago. What is it that you throw away the outside, cook the inside of the outside, eat the outside, and throw away the inside? Truth or consequences, Mrs. Vicunas and Mr. Papa.
19: I don't know. Do you know
17: that, Mr. Papa? No, sir. Uh... Corn on the cob. Corn on the cob, you throw away the outside, cook the inside of the outside, eat the outside, throw away the inside. How are the canaries?
16: Fine. Who's taking care of them tonight? Oh, Daddy. Daddy's sure. <laughs> the
17: old crows home. Yeah, that... it was yes. home. all
16: right. The spring uh, chicken here. Yeah.
17: <laughs> the spring chicken's here. All right, good. I'll punch up the joke for you. All right, now, Miss Mister uh, Papa, you said in the warm-up that you spoke Italian. Yes, sir. Yes. All right. Now we're going to give you something to say to Mrs. Vicunas here in Italian. Now, Mrs. Uh, Vicunas. You should excuse the expression. Okay. You you run, you run off stage a moment, so you can't hear. You see?
11: Okay. Okay, you go with right, Mr. Vasco,
17: Mr. Bailey, and Mr. Papa, if you can make uh, Mrs. Vicunas understand in two minutes, when she comes back, two minutes, Mrs. Vicunas, uh, what we have told you to say to her, we'll give you both $25 extra. You want to try? Yes, sir. Okay, boy. Now, Mrs. Vicunas is off stage. Now, we want you in Italian to explain to Mrs. Vicunas how to milk a cow. Milk a cow. Oh. Yes, and when you come to certain parts of your description... Use the word faucets. Faucets.
15: <laughs> faucets. You
17: can say that in English if you want. Yes, yes sir. A faucetio. I no, that's a voice, isn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Now, you can use your hands except for the one motion of milking a cow that would give the gag away. You okay. probably have to use your hands okay. in speaking,
13: huh? Well, I'll tell you, when Italian people speak, their hands explain everything. But I'll try. You try. All
17: everything. right. But except when you come explaining how to milk okay. a cow. Don't use that motion, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. All right. Now, bring Mrs. Vicunis back. Don't anyone give the gag away. Now, Mrs. Vicunis, here she comes. All right. I'll get over here with the microphone. Johnny Paulick, turn on the roving microphone. And uh, you stand over on this side, please, Mr. Uh, That's it, Mr. Papa. Now, Mrs. Vicunis, listen to me. Uh, $25 to both. Will you move it just a little so I (laughs) can... Thank you. $25.
12: Okay, okay, (laughs) okay.
17: I was trying to push, but I saw that was useless. Now, $25 to both you and uh, Mr. Papa, if you can understand what he is trying to tell you in a two-minute race against time. All right, Mr. Mr. Papa? Signor, oh. oh,
13: vor-
10: wait
13: a minute. Now, wait a minute. mio Fawcett? It...
10: No,
13: I won't go home and lay no egg and hatch or canary. No. No no, no. no, no, no. Talk to the lady now. Tu piente no. nu piccolo stadia, no. est 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 apune, I'm going ragazzi be a little bit of a little bit how do you want sit of down? What happened?
4: Speak, here. Oh, what do you want me to do? Sit down and what? Lay an egg. In... No, 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 no. <laughs>
17: <laughs> Look, all right. Use the use the word and and show with the expression with the hands <laughs>
13: up. You can. Epony, Epony, E Epony. What kind of a <laughs> noise does it make? Oh
1: yes, I drive an automobile.
13: Epony, <laughs> What noise does it make? Moo. Oh, milk a cow. Right. Oh, hello. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Papa. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Oh, okay, okay. Pulling for you, yeah, Mr. Does yeah. <laughs> does <laughs> everything Oh, oh yes.
12: Yeah. Yeah. You bet,
17: Mrs. Vicunas, you're wonderful. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, $25 a piece extra plus $10 consequence money. Now, uh, stand by in a few moments. We make our first phone call in the Miss Hush contest. Oh, uh, Mrs. Vicunas, you get this big... (laughs) You get this big red box it does, too, you? Yes, you bet it does, Mrs. Vicunas. Here in Chicago, they found one thing does doesn't do, though. It doesn't stay on the store shelves. Right, Harlow?
7: Right. More and more families are dozing their wash these days from Chicago to Cheyenne. Everybody's choosing this one wonderful soap that does everything in the family wash. Does really is different from all the other leading package soaps sold for wash day. Even gives you more suds, ounce for ounce. And they're real soap suds, too. You bet. Those does suds have the cleaning power to get grease-stained work clothes clean. Spanking clean with just a short washer run to get streaked up towels and linens beaming white, really dazzling white, without any hard scrubbing. And does does more. It's actually safer for the newest, brightest colors you wash.
17: When you've got does, you've really
7: got something. Yes, the soap shortage proved there's no substitute for does. You see why it's selling faster than ever, folks? First chance you get, get does. From the roughest and toughest to the whitest and brightest. Does, does everything.
17: What a soap. Thanks, Harlow. My these? isn't this a lovely-looking couple? The microphone here. Two uh, uh, parents, I believe, from Chicago, right? Right. Come in real close. You're Mrs.
19: Albright. Hello,
17: Mrs. Albright. How are you tonight?
19: Just fine, thank you. Just
17: fine. That's good. And Mr. Albright? Very good, thanks. What's your occupation, sir? I'm a chemical salesman. Good. How's it selling these days? All right. <laughs> Good speak. All right, now ladies and gentlemen, don't leave your phones or radio. A Miss Hush call is coming up and we'll keep the party rolling with uh, our two contestants here, Mr. and Mrs. Albright. Here's a question. Alice M. Hensel of Worcester, Massachusetts asks, "What can run on one leg? What can run on one leg for a long time?" How about that, Ms. Albright? Uh... What can run on one leg? A lady stocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. All right, you haven't told the truth, so you must pay the consequences. Now, Mrs. Albright, Mr. Albright, you told us during our pre air time period that you had a, a, a little boy, 8, 9, 10, or 11, or how old? To 11. <laughs> is that right, Mrs. Albright? Yes, All right, now, uh, what is his name? Tommy. Tommy. And where is he now? Well,
12: he's supposed to be in bed.
17: Oh Tommy, you better He's be in probably bed.
12: Listening to this radio Is he? Tommy, mommy's
17: on the radio Look, look, Tommy, Mommy's on the radio. Mommy's on the radio. All right, now backstage we have a jury of psychologists, child psychologists, and we want you to discuss any problems you may have concerning your son, Tommy. So will you run off stage and make a list of the things you'd like to ask the jury will you do that mr albright mrs albright okay all right now uh, this is going to prove very educational might be a great help in the future upbringing of your child off you go and uh, get all the points listed they go, gone they can't hear Ooh,
5: what's gonna happen
17: to mrs albright now her husband mr albright is in on the gag the jury of child psychologists we mentioned is the famous juvenile jury that you hear on the radio Jack Barry, their creator and conductor, has brought the jury to a truth or consequences tonight. It consists of five children from the ages of five to ten, but tonight it will consist of six children. The sixth is Mrs. Albright's little boy, Tommy, disguised as a little girl. And here he is in a blue dress, pink socks, and blonde curls. Come out, Tommy. Here he is. He's really a rough and tough little guy, but look at
13: him now. Pretty good.
17: boy. <laughs> Oh my, I, are, you, are you all set to play a little gag on Mother?
13: Sure am. Oh
12: <laughs> That
17: voice coming out with a dress. Well, it, it, it'll, uh, it'll work now, don't you worry? How do you feel,
12: huh? Like the Dickens.
17: <laughs> with a dress? Oh, don't worry about that. Now just one, one thing. We'll, we'll call you Elizabeth, see? Okay. Okay, and whenever I ask you what you think of Tommy Albright, that you you say nothing wrong with him. He's a swell kid. Let's hear you say that in a high voice.
11: Nothing wrong with him. He just walking. That's it. Keep it. Keep it up there,
17: Tommy. Keep it up there. That's wonderful, Elizabeth. I mean, Tommy. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, now you go back behind the curtains with the juvenile jury. When I introduce them, you come out with them. Okay. Now, don't anyone give the gag away. Bring back the Albright. Aren't
13: we devils? <laughs>
17: All right, now, here we're all set to go. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Albright. Ah, yes, Mr. and Mrs. Albright, uh, the jury is about to appear, and you may sit in what we might call the witness chair. Are you all set, Mrs.
20: Albright?
17: Yes, I am. Okay, and uh, I want you to meet... How are you now, Mr. Albright? Very fine. Just be seated with your wife. Meet the famous child psychologist and well-known radio juvenile jury. Come out,
13: juvenile
17: jury, and here they are. Well, what
7: do you
13: think of that? Well, fine. Uh, what did you do?
7: Did you expect the Certainly did.
17: Well, no. Well, let me tell you, these kids, these kids are terrific, Mrs. Albright. They know children. Believe me. Uh, children, children, I want you to meet. I want you to meet uh, Mr. and Mrs. Albright, whose child will be the subject of your discussion tonight. Uh, first here is little. I tell you, I'll let each one of you give your names. Charlie, you get into the microphone and and this is Mrs. Albright. Charlie, you say your name.
7: Charlie Hankinson. How do you do, Charlie? How do you do?
17: Hello, Charlie. <laughs> yes, and little girl.
16: Peggy Bruder, age nine. How do you do? How do you uh, Charlie,
17: do? how old were you? Six. Yeah, well, you're going to be a big guy now, are right. Yes, sir? Your name?
12: Kong Lu. How do you do? Hello.
17: That's Kong. And the next? This is Mr. Robin Mr. Morgan, age
13: five. How Robin do you do? Robin Morgan,
17: the Albright. Hello, Robin.
13: Dickie, you're all in age seven.
17: Yes and uh, uh, you're seven and?
18: Elizabeth Bailey, age nine.
17: All right, now, okay, now the jury is ready to hear any problems you have with your little son. Now, I'm not Jack Berry, but I'll try to uh, be mediator here, and you may get in on this too, Mr. Albright, if you will. All right, your first uh, uh, problem, Mrs. Albright, do you have a problem? Yes,
19: my, li- jury? my little boy likes to go to the movies, but he wants to take a date. Do you think he's too young?
17: All right. Now, uh, let's see. Charlie, what do you have to say about that?
19: What movies does he like to go to? Well, uh, Wild West and Adventure.
7: Huh? Double features, he can spend more time there. Yeah.
19: <laughs> All right,
7: uh, uh Peggy. Has your son had any experiences with girls before? Well, we're not quite
17: sure. What'd you say?
7: We're not quite
17: She's sure. not quite sure. She says uh... All right, Elizabeth.
12: Oh, nothing wrong with him. He's all right.
17: Yes, all right. Now, uh, Kong?
12: Is the girl pretty? Well, we hope so.
17: Yes, uh, let's have Robin now.
7: Well, you're probably worried because... You're probably worried about him going out because he takes too much of your money. So why don't you tell him to ask the girl to pay for everything, and
19: then you won't have to worry. Well, do you think he would get a girl to go out that way?
17: You think you get a girl to go out. Well, i tell you what, we'll save that for the, uh, the uh, decisive period, which comes uh, later. Uh, Dickie?
13: Did you go out with boys when you were 11? <laughs> no,
8: I didn't. <laughs> uh,
17: well, that could be that. All right, uh, Elizabeth?
8: Oh, nothing wrong with Tommy. I just think you should let him go out.
17: Let him go out. All right. Well, now, this is very good. Uh, Kong, do you have another question?
12: How old is a girl? About his age or a
19: little bit younger.
17: All right. Now, uh, well, all right, Charlie, they they keep... How
19: much younger? (laughs) (laughs) Not too much.
17: Uh Uh, uh, Do you have another one, Robin, that you want? Yes,
7: sir. The only question I can think of is...
17: Who is Miss Hush? <laughs> it's mumbles. That is supposed
20: to be in there now.
17: Mumbles. All right. Now, I tell you what. Uh, we have the, the problem has been presented. The, uh, the questions have been asked by the kiddies. Now, let's have each child here on the juvenile jury uh, say uh, what they want to about this situation. Now, here comes the decision. Let's see. Do uh, you have a, a decision in mind for this uh, Mrs. Albright, Mr. Albright, about their son, who wants to go to the movies and they don't want him to go? Charlie, how about you? Well,
13: I think... So. That you
7: should let him go to the movies, even he's so young. But I think he should.
15: Uh-huh.
19: Well, I'm glad to have your opinion. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's have
17: um, let's have Peggy now. Peggy.
7: Well, before I give my answer, I want to ask one question. How much allowance does he get?
8: <laughs> About fifty cents a week.
7: Oh boy, I'd like to meet it, meet him myself. You yeah, no, never mind, Peggy. Please,
17: Kong. What do you got to say? How do you I like think that? He... Uh, all right, Kong, what do you say?
1: I think he should go out with a girl because later he might like to marry
7: her.
17: Yes, you can't tell. Robin?
7: Well, I think that he'll have enough time to go out with girls when he's 23 or 50. Oh, she's on your knees. All right.
12: Dickie?
16: Well, the way the, the girls are wearing long dresses today, I don't know why anyone would want to take them. In. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
17: all right. Now, uh. Uh, Elizabeth, what do you think?
5: Nothing wrong
8: with Tommy, I... Think I He's a good
17: kid. <laughs> yes, all right. Well, I guess these children have solved all your problems. Uh, Mrs. Albright, I think you should be grateful for all this advice. As a matter of fact, uh, Elizabeth here has a great deal of faith in your little boy, hasn't he?
5: She, she keeps, uh,
17: Nothing does. wrong with him. Oh, both of you, uh, come on over here, and I want you to meet them personally. Um, uh, you, uh, Elizabeth seemed to have a great deal of faith there. Uh, my goodness, uh, isn't Elizabeth cute,
19: Mrs.
8: Albright? She certainly she is.
17: is. Hasn't she got beautiful blonde
8: curls? Very, I should say.
17: Elizabeth, give your curls to Mrs. Albright, why don't you? Huh? Are you going to give the curls to her?
11: <laughs> there you are, Mama
15: Hi, Mom We're Tommy Albright What are you doing, Tommy? <laughs> oh, Yo, man, you really got it
19: I'm you, oh.
15: I, sir, I
19: don't know what to say oh.
17: Well, it's, it's little Tommy oh, how, how do
20: you feel now? I feel
17: like getting off this dress. I'll bet you do, kid. Thank you, juvenile jury, for a wonderful job. Thanks, too, to your head man, Jack Barry. For each of you, um, including Tommy, we have a $25 savings bond and a Parker pen and pencil set. And for you, Mr. and Mrs. Albright, we have a 72-piece set of fine art sterling silver, plus a big red box of does. There
5: you
17: are. Uh, Any jury will tell you there's no soap quite like does. From the roughest and toughest to the whitest and brightest, does does everything. And now, stand by, stand by, America. I'm now going to call the person who gets first crack at tonight's giant jackpot consequence. This is the person in our radio audience who gave us in our first week's contest the best reason why we all should support the March of Dimes. Now, uh, let's see, let's see. Let's have, first of all, the call here. Hello, hello, hello? Yes, hand me the phone, please. Now, place the operator. Get me Charlotte, North Carolina, please. Now we know the city. We know the city. I'll bet everyone in Charlotte, North Carolina, who entered the Miss Hush contest is shaking in his boots. Hello. Charlotte, North Carolina. Our NBC operator will give you a number in Charlotte to call. Will you please ring it? Give her the number, please, NBC. We found out that Miss Hush is not Elsa Maxwell, Maud Adams, Spring Byington, nor Fred Allen. As a matter of fact, we've had a couple of very exciting weeks with the telephone calls. We lost uh, uh, ten years of our lives there last week. Hello. Waiting for the call. There you. Hello, hello. This is Ralph Edwards of the Truth or Consequences broadcast. How are you? Is this Mrs. George A. Steele of 1424 East Seventh Street, Charlotte, North Carolina? Is this? Are you speechless?
13: Uh,
17: now, the rules say the writer of the best entries must be ready at their telephones. Your entry on why we should all support the March of Dimes was selected as the best entry tonight. All right, the big question, and you can give only one answer. Tell us who you think is Miss Hush. Uh, Would you say that again, please? You say Sister Elizabeth Kenny. You say Sister Elizabeth Kenny. Oh, I'm sorry. Sister Elizabeth Kenny is wrong, but don't let this discourage you from trying again next week in case our second and third calls tonight are incorrect. And thank you, Mrs. George A. Steele of 1424 East 7th Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, for your contribution to the March of Dimes. Thank you. You're a lovely lady. Good night. Good night. Two more calls now to be made. Let's have some more consequences first. Huh? All right, let's get the calls in then. That's okay. Let's get the calls going tonight. Later on, you will hear the voice of Miss Hush, and I'll tell you how to become eligible for the giant jackpot of prizes. And now, now listen. Does nominates this week's Dishpan Doeszer. She's Mrs. John Boucher, 135 1354 Boulevard, Dayton, Ohio.
7: Congratulations, Mrs. Mrs. Boucher. You found Does does everything in the dishpan, too. From a fast cleanup on greasy pans to ever loving care for hands. Believe me, does is a whiz for dishes. Even makes more suds, ounce for ounce, than any strong granulated soap. Real soap suds that stand up till the last dish is done. Changing to does from those soaps can mean smoother, prettier hands too. Start does in your dishes, folks. Does does everything.
17: Does does it, Harlow? Had a boy. Now we call the writer of the second best entry in this week's Miss Hush contest on Truth or Consequences for the March of Dimes. Hand me the phone again, please, Al. Oh my, here we go. Hello, operator. Get me the Bronx, New York, please. Okay, here we go. This could be at Stand by, Miss Hush, in case it's guests. NBC Engineer X, stand by. Our first call to Mrs. George A. Steele of Charlotte, North Carolina, proved the voice was not that of Sister Elizabeth Kenny. Hello, New York City. Our NBC operator will give you a number to call in New York City. Would you please ring it? If this person cannot identify Miss Hush, we will make our third call in a few minutes. In a city of 7 or 8 million people, there's a good chance that it could be ended with the right name. Who is Miss Hush? Hello? Hello? Is this Mr. Charles Kieran of 50 West Tremont Avenue, Bronx 53, New York City? Mr. Kieran, this is Ralph Edwards on Truth or Consequences. How are you, sir? You've been waiting for this Hello, I've been waiting for you. He says, that's fine. That name Kieran, that sort of scares me. <laughs> One Kieran, John Kieran, is a regular encyclopedia of knowledge. Are you... No relation. Good. Your entry on why we, I mean, no relation, period. Your entry on why we all should support the March of Dimes was selected as the second best entry tonight. All right, tell us who you think is Miss Hush. You say the answer is Miss Tallulah Bankhead. You say Tallulah Bankhead? Mr. Kieran, I'm sorry. Miss Hush is not Tallulah Bankhead. Thanks for supporting the March of Dimes. Many polio victims will be aided by your and other entrance contribution. Try again next week, sir. And good night. Thank you very much, Mr. Kieran. All right, now, uh, on with another consequence. (laughs) I keep saying consequences. Let's give it the phone call. You betcha. And uh, in a few minutes, another phone call. And if Miss Hush is not identified, then you'll hear the voice right after this call. I'm glad you're making your contributions dollars as well as dimes when you send in your entries. Give me the phone again, please. Hello. Third call to the writer of the third best entry uh, in this 1947 Miss Hush contest. Operator, get me Reno, Nevada, please. Oh, anything can happen out there, you know. This person doesn't know the identity, Miss Hush. Three more fabulous prizes be added to our already giant... Gi- Hello? Uh, Reno, Nevada, this is NBC Chicago. Our operator will give you a number in Reno. Will you please ring it? We certainly had uh, good representation tonight. Charlotte, North Carolina, the Bronx, New York, now Reno. I wonder if uh, Clara Bow is listening. Oh, she's in Las Vegas, of course. I wonder if Mrs. Hush knew who Miss Hush is. Hello? Hello, this is Ralph Edwards of Truth or Consequences. Is this Mrs. A.P. Wilson of 631 West Street, Reno, Nevada? Congratulations on a fine entry statement, Mrs. Wilson. Now, before I ask you the all-important question, your entry on why we should support the March of Dimes was selected as the third-best entry tonight, so you get an opportunity to identify the voice of Miss Hush. The big question now, tell us who you think is Miss Hush. You think it is who? Oh. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, uh, it is not Sister Kenny. That's a shame that you weren't listening. Uh, Sister Kenny is wrong. Uh, but thanks on behalf of the March of Dimes and Truth of Consequences. Keep trying, will you? Good night in Reno. (laughs) Also, the name of Miss Hush remains a mystery for another week. Listen to the jackpot now. I hope your name will be called next week. Next week, in addition to the 1947 Buick. Super Convertible from the Howard Automobile Company, a Bendix Home Laundry, a round-trip ticket for two via United Airlines Mainliner 300 to Honolulu, and a suite of rooms for a 2 weeks vacation at the Matson Line's famous Royal Hawaiian Hotel, a $2,000 Columbia House trailer, a $1,000 Diamond and Ruby Boulevard wristwatch, an RCA Victor radio phonograph combination plus a new 1948 RCA Victor television receiver, and a library of 100 Red Seal records, an I.J. Fox 1500 full-length beaver coat, a Luscombe Silvero metal airplane, $2,000 in cash, a $1,000 Popular Mechanics home workshop with a library of Popular Mechanics instruction books, a Survelle Silent gas refrigerator, and Sherwin-Williams' Cover the Earth trademark paints will paint your house inside and out. To so all this, truth or consequences, next week we'll add a Hart Schaffner and Mark suit and top coat for every adult man and woman in your family a Tappan gas kitchen range, and a 13-cubic-foot Jacob's Home Freezer, product of Jacob's Wind Electric Company, Minneapolis, filled with bird's-eye frozen foods. Who is Miss Hush? Well, stand by. Here she is. From somewhere in the United States comes the voice of Miss Hush.
14: Listen and good luck. Here is the voice.
12: Second for Santa Claus. First for me. Thirteen for Reese. Seven for trees. Bring me an auto, a book, and a ball, and I'll say Merry Christmas in spring, not in fall.
17: Who is it? If you think you can identify the voice of Miss Hush, this is what you do to enter the contest. Now listen, everybody get in it. One, finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. We should all support the March of Dimes because... Two, enclose your entry in an envelope. Only one entry to an envelope with a money contribution, if you please, for the March of Dimes. Three, mail with your name, address, and telephone number printed clearly in the upper right-hand corner to Miss Hush, Hollywood, California. Don't send your entries to the Truth or Consequences office. Four, do not include the name of Miss Hush with or on your entry. And don't forget, each week brings a new contest until Miss Hush is identified. All entries received by Monday, uh, November 17th, will be judged, and the writer of the best entry in this group will be called next Saturday. Enter each contest as often as you choose, however, only one entry to an envelope. Eligibility for participation is not contingent upon your contributions to the March of Dimes. Let your heart be your guide. Each week, the writer of the best entry will be called as we did tonight. You must be available at your telephone at the time of our Eastern broadcast. Now, if you know the identity of Miss Hush, when we call you, you win the giant jackpot. Entries will be judged for sincerity, originality, and aptness of thought. And listen to this. Listen to this. The judge's decision is final. If you are not at your phone for any reason when we call you at the time of the Eastern Broadcast, you automatically will be eliminated. All entries and ideas therein become the property of Truth or Consequences. None will be returned. Any resident of the United States may compete except employees of Truth or Consequences, NBC, Procter & Gamble, their advertising agencies, and their families. Only one attempt will be made to reach the contender for the prize. And that attempt will be on a regular Eastern Broadcast on Saturdays at 8.30 Eastern Time 730 Central Time 630 Mountain Time 530 Pacific Time remember finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less we should all support the March of Dimes because the address Miss Hush Hollywood California now here she is again Miss Hush from somewhere in the United States come on you know this woman Uh, can't you give us some hint Miss Hush
12: I'll try but it's hard for me to express myself on the radio You listeners probably have never heard my voice. But students and adults should know my profession if they know all about Santa Claus. Although it's not time to retire. Good night, everybody. Who
17: is it? I'll give you another clue. It's not Fibber McGee and Molly. Someone is going to win. Maybe next week, I hope it's you. And if your contributions to the March of Dimes are generous, the polio victims, large and small, will be the winners in the end. So get in the contest. Now, well, how does you do? It's our happy-good-assie singers with their merry washing machine. Hello. D-U-Z,
15: D-U-Z
10: Put does in your washing machine Work
15: clothes
18: come out oh so clean
10: White things white and colored things bright
7: D-U-Z does everything From the roughest and the toughest to the whitest and the brightest
1: No soap quite like does before
15: Does is different, does does more
1: When
6: you does your wash you'll sing
15: D-U-Z does
11: everything That was
17: sensational, kids. Very good. Now, uh, <laughs> let's see. The grand prize winner tonight was Mr. Papa and Mrs. Kozlovitsvichva, uh, who did the uh, milking a cow there in Italian. Uh, here's a twenty-five dollars savings bond, folks. The truth is, most dealers you uh, pay you good money for used kitchen fat. Why? Because the fats and oil shortage continues worldwide. Everybody save every drop. Ralph Edwards sending you dozens of good washes until next week. Thanks, juvenile jury. Miss Hush calls again next
7: week. Good night, everybody. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for Procter & Gamble, the makers of Does. Ralph Edwards' Truth or Consequences came to you from Chicago, Hollywood, and Miss Hush's hideaway. Prepare to be dazzled. See your hair shine its brightest with new, improved green shampoo. Compared to dulling soap shampoo reveals up to 33% more sheen. With your very first green shampoo, you'll see up to 33% more sheen. Extra money, money, money. $25,000 offered in green's sensational contest. First prize, $10,000. Get entry blank and complete information at your dealer. You may win a fortune. Don't miss green's $25,000 contest. This is
13: NBC, the national broadcasting company.
1: Wow, I started to unmute my mic a few. uh,
0: Okay. (laughs) I started
1: started to unmute a few minutes ago and then it started back up.
0: Yeah. And
1: then I started speaking too soon anyway. Bong, bong, bong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's, Uh, it's, it's sometimes it's weird.
1: Anyway, we got two more. Um, the next game show is. Uh, it was a pretty popular one back then, and um, I kind of like it. It's a it's a word game. It's got a secret word to it, and they tell the audience at the beginning, but naturally the panel doesn't know it. Uh, it reminds me kind of of a game that used to be on television when I was a little bitty girl. I know a secret.
5: <laughs> oh, it used okay. to come
1: on at night time but anyway sit back and enjoy You Bet Your Life
3: The word site right is foot F-O-O-T Really? You Bet Your Life <laughs> Elgin American, creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, finest dresser sets, present Groucho Marx and the Elgin American show, You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here's that sterling Elgin American, the one, the only, That guy still around? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs>
21: Thank you. Here I am again with $2,000
3: for one of our couples tonight. George Fannerman is placed to try for it. We invited some movie fan club presidents and some movie fan mail clerks to the show. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Verlee Gross from Universal Pictures and Miss Barbara Ring, president of the Dana Andrews Fan Club. And here they are. Ladies mate Groucho Marx. Welcome, to and American
21: Compact, girls. And if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you always have with you. A studio, mail clerk, and a fan club president, eh? Barbara Ring, uh, what fan club are you president of?
10: The Dana Andrews Fan Club.
21: How many members do you have?
10: 900 nationally. Really
21: Fairly gross, huh? You're the girl from the studio yes, fan mail department. About how many letters does your studio average uh, a day?
8: Well, I would say around 3,000.
21: Mm-hmm. Who gets the most mail?
8: Well, Yvonne DiCarlo, who's appearing in crisscross here. Why, why is that, well, I think she has a certain exotic peel, appeal for men, and. Peeler, uh, I think, it'd be closer.
5: <laughs> yeah,
21: <that> <laughs> now, why do most people write fan letters?
8: Well, the majority, oh, I would say about 90% of the mail we receive is asking for free pictures. Mm-hmm.
21: And do you send out free pictures? Oh, yes. How much do you charge for free pictures? <laughs> Ten cents per dollar.
8: Ten cents. <laughs> well,
21: that's pretty cheap for a free picture. <laughs> Uh, what what other mail do you get besides the ones asking for pictures?
8: Oh, we get proposals for Mary to the women stars and to some of the men stars too, and uh, then we get cra- letters from crackpots. Probably the best example would be the fellow who wrote in and wanted the gum that Dick Powell had chewed in a picture. <laughs> Probably a beach nut. <laughs>
21: What's the oddest letter you ever got from a movie fan?
8: Well, I think probably the woman who had seen the life of Riley. and She's coming out now, huh? Mm-hmm. And she asked, for, uh, she asked us for William Bendix, if we would send him, and she sent $10 to cover the charges.
21: <laughs> and he wouldn't go?
8: No. Yeah. He, he told us to send back the $10 and send a big picture that he autographed to her personally. And then we had the, the young chap who wrote in and uh, asked for one of our stars, could we say unmentionable? He said that he was no. having a... Let's uh, not say unmentionable,
5: huh?
8: <laughs> Lingerie? Well, yes. And he said he was collecting them. He had, it was his hobby. Had well, was he 100. collecting them
5: filled or empty? <laughs>
21: We have the perfect gift for each of you, for Lee and for Barbara. Belgian-American, stunning red, compact, trimmed, and bright jewel bronze. Oh, that's
8: beautiful. Thank
21: you so much. Barbara, let's get back to your fan club. Why did you pick Dana Andrews? Why didn't you join the Groucho Marx fan
10: club? (laughs) Oh, I didn't know there was one. (laughs) I'm not sure there's a Groucho Marx.
21: As president of the Dana Andrews fan club, just what do you do?
10: Well, the girls like to meet their president, and I just sit out of meetings and pound the gavel.
21: And then what do you do? You just sit there and pound the gavel all the time?
5: <laughs> that must
21: sound like a meeting of woodpeckers, does it? <laughs> well, how much do you know about uh, Mr. Andrews?
10: Well, he was the third son of a minister. And his hobby is boating and he never lets his children, he has four children He never lets his children go on the boats because he's afraid they'll fall off He and his wife go out boating uh-huh.
21: How do you get all this information?
10: Oh, I read all articles that are written on him
21: Why do you go to all this trouble? Are you are you actually... <laughs> here's a man, a father with four children, huh? Are you trying to horn in on a This It's
10: my hobby How
21: do you think his wife feels about this, huh?
10: He maybe knows, I don't know
21: He's out there with his wife in that rowboat. Does he always take his wife? No.
5: Uh,
21: have you have you ever met him personally?
10: Oh yes, he's been introduced to me before, so I think he remembered me. I wasn't sure, though, so I just introduced myself, um, and he said, "Oh, you're the person of my fan club." And did
21: you have the mallet with you? <laughs> does, does, does his wife belong to the club too?
10: Oh yes, he's an honorary really member.
21: Oh, See, very nice. <laughs> Do any of your members collect items that your hero has touched?
10: Well, we had one girl that uh, she went up and asked this doughty Andy if she could have a few pieces of hair out of his head, and he, he she didn't want the whole head. No. She'd she have liked to have it, but she just couldn't. some locks, huh?
21: She could have got that at the delegate test. And she got it.
10: He let her take some hair off of his oh. head. And it, no, she just took all of it
21: and pulled, them pulled off. it off. Well, it's such a nice way of spending the morning, huh? Eh? <laughs> There's
10: another girl that collects uh, old cigarette butts that he's thrown away.
21: What does she do? Follow him around with a garbage fan?
5: <laughs> well, this doesn't this. seem
21: like a very romantic relationship. To see
5: right Collecting
21: old cigarette butts and pulling his hair out doesn't. <laughs> I wouldn't consider a very fancy
5: romance. Well, you
21: make a very interesting scene. Now, let's see how well you can work together for $2,000. In just one minute, you're going to play the Elgin-American game you bet your life. First, George Farnham is going to offer some
3: invaluable advice. Go ahead, George. Have you looked at your compact lately? One look now can save your reputation in accessories. If that look shows you a compact that has seen its best days, remember, your compact is the one accessory you use most that other people see you use. And it either adds to or subtracts from the smart impression you want to make. Compacts are such important fashion accessories today that every woman needs three. One each in the correct mood for her daytime, sports, and evening clothes. Only Elgin American offers such a thrilling variety of designs, shapes, and sizes for every apparel need, And in such a wide price range that every woman can have an Elgin American compact to reflect her good taste in glowing terms look at your compact tonight and tomorrow get the compact fashion prefers america's number one compact an exquisite elgin american
21: now let's see if you two will get a chance at the two thousand dollar question you're going to play your bet your life send tell them the rules each
3: of our three couples has twenty dollars they bet as much of that twenty as they want on each of four questions the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room offstage, so they won't know what goes on until it's their turn.
21: Here we go. Let's see how high you can build You $20. What question category did you select? Comic strip characters. Comic strip characters. How much of your $20 will you bet on the first one? Ten. Okay. Mac and Mr. Simpkins are characters in what comic strip? Tilly the Toiler. Tilly the Toiler. correct. Correct. <laughs> Well, we're off to a great start. I have $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to bet this time? $20. All right. In what strip do you find the Little Indian Lonesome Polecat? Little Abner. Little Abner is correct. We now have $50. Here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to go for? 40 $40. dollars they can get along fine. And what comic strip is Hot Shot Charlie? Hot Shot Charlie. Take a stab. Any answer is better than
10: none.
21: <laughs> I'm sorry, it's Terry and the Pirates.
10: They now have ten
21: dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couple. How much of the ten going to bet?
10: Ten.
21: Ten. All right, Alexander and Cookie are children, and what comic strip? Blondie and Daddy. Blondie
3: is correct, and they wind up with twenty dollars.
21: Thanks, and good luck from Elgin American, American Compact. Don't go away now. You're still in the running for the big question.
3: And perhaps the next couple will say the secret word, Groucho. It's FOOT, F They've been in a waiting room off stage. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected an airline hostess and a traveling salesman. And here they are, Miss Mary Bullock and Mr. Joe Budd, me, Groucho Mark. Welcome to
21: Elgin American Compact, folks. If you know about the secret word, here's a clue. It's a common word, something you have always with you. You might say it at any time we're talking. An airline hostess and a traveling salesman, eh? Mm-hmm. Miss Bullock, uh, what's your line?
10: CWA.
21: And salesman Joe Bud. Yes, sir. Where are you from, Mister Bud? Georgia. Well, what do you sell, Mister Bud? Ophthalmological instruments
9: and in supplies. Mm-hmm. Would you mind clarifying that? Sir? <laughs> <laughs> Ophthalmological instruments are instruments which are used in refracting or examining the eyes and determining the proper vision and vision of the patients. I don't let us overdo it. <laughs> <laughs>
21: Uh, Mr. Mr. Bud, uh, are you married? Yes, sir. How'd you meet your wife? Was she a farmer's daughter? <laughs> no,
9: she wasn't a farmer's daughter, but, uh, but her father was. Father her father was, was a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> <my father-in-law> was... <laughs> That's quite a trick if you
21: can do it, huh? <laughs> father-in-law the daughter, huh? Your, your father-in-law married a farmer's daughter.
5: Your
21: father-in-law married a farmer's daughter. Well, now you've got
5: me
21: confused, huh? <laughs> uh, stewardess uh, Mary Bullock, huh? That's correct. Uh, are you related to the uh, department store downtown? I
9: haven't been able to trace it yet. Well,
21: <laughs> well try it. I'll load it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, an attractive girl like you, and why, why aren't you married? Do your male passengers consider you too flighty? <laughs>
5: <laughs>
21: <laughs> well, would you like to get married someday and settle down to her?
10: Yes, I do. And I'm afraid I'm getting a little bit choosy now. I find one person with nice quality I like and another with nice quality, but I can't find them all in the same man.
21: <laughs> well, you'll find out after you're married to one of them that none of them have all those qualities. <laughs> Could I make a reservation with you for tomorrow night?
8: Sorry, I
21: haven't applied. You can leave your plane at home, you know. <laughs> you fly tomorrow night? With a fly-by-night outfit, huh? Do you load load the passengers on your
10: ship?
21: Yes, I do. Uh, Do they ever come unloaded without you? Yes,
10: they do. We unload them. Do any
21: of the passengers ever try to uh, make a a date with you?
10: Yes, they do. What
21: do you do? Go fly a kite, you tell them? (laughs) I don't think they trust me when I get on a plane. The first thing the hostess does is always strap me in the seat. <laughs> now, before we pry into any more secrets, I have a handsome cigarette case for our traveling salesman. And for our airline hostess, a smart, round compact, both in Thank two you. tones of jeweler's bronze. And here they are by Elgin American.
10: Oh, it's lovely. I have an outfit that'll
21: match. it. I think any outfit you wear would me. <laughs> With that compact, you'll always be able to powder your nose at 20,000 feet, Miss Bullock. That is, if you can reach your nose at 20,000
5: feet. <laughs> I'll try, i let
21: you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bullock, uh, what qualifications do you need in order to become an airline hostess?
10: Well, the age is uh, from 21 to 27 years old, and uh, height from 5'2 to 5'7". <laughs>
21: Miss Bullock, you said it. You said foot, and that's the secret word. So you each win an Apollo 16-millimeter sound movie projector. And not only that, but you can also walk out of here tonight with over $2,000. Now, let's settle down to business.
5: <laughs> Thank
21: you, Mr. Bullock. Now, Mr. Bud, as a driving salesman, do you, do you ever fly? Oh, all the time. Fly all the time. Yes, right? sir. Could you fly around the studio? <laughs> 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 Do you have a pretty good stock of jokes to keep your customers in a good mood?
9: Well, we use a fair few around. Could you
21: give us a sample, wheeze Just so we can get an idea.
9: <laughs> I mean, let's you're well, walking in the uh, store now. Well, have you heard this one? Uh, did well, you, you on about off?
21: You don't just open the door and say, "Have you heard
5: Quite right. <laughs>
9: Good evening to you, Dr. Marks. Have you heard the one about the uh, mate who rushed up to the captain of the ship? Yeah, captain. captain, Captain, the crew is revolting. Captain, I oh, might. They certainly are. <laughs> well, I guess
5: business is lousy all over. Now,
21: <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, uh, uh, let's see how good it... <laughs> Yes. let's see how have got a salesman you are. Uh, pretend i'm a customer and you're selling bad stuff now uh, you knock That's on right. my door and start selling me a bad stuff i'm the housewife uh, i'm That's not the going door first. okay knock on the uh-huh. door be sure you do because i may be dressed uh-huh. <laughs> the door open. the door open open sesame huh? good morning we have you. a small dog named sesame that opens the door <laughs> Okay, I'm now
9: standing arms akimbo. Good morning, Mrs. Fandangle. I would like to interest you
21: in.
5: What
9: is my name? Being hard at her case, Mrs. Fandangle. Mrs. Fandangle.
21: (laughs) (laughs) Exciting improvement over the
5: one I've got.
9: Now take a moment of your time to interest you in the you're world's latest made, development in the way of a bathtub? I see. Do you have it
5: with
9: you? I have one out in the car. I can very quickly bring it in and install it and give you the, the, the full advantage <laughs> <laughs> i rather tell you about it. I'm not going to, <laughs> but then, so let's a few of these. Well, this is the furline bathtub. for Which also has a new patented feature. You, you're acquainted with the... Uh, pleasures that you get in the bubble bath and you have the bubbles all flowing up and above and occasionally they overflow and go over the side on the safe floor. Yes, yes. However we have a, a new patented feature. It's an air intake valve that surrounds the upper edge of the tub so that as the bubbles come up as they go out right into that line right of the plant. Well, I'll I'll take
5: a half a dozen of those and a cheesecake. <laughs>
21: You're a pretty good salesman. I'll take two of those tubs because I may want to take more than one bath. <laughs> and that, that fur line uh, tub really intrigues me. I may have the Dana Andrews club come up and pluck the hair out of that.
5: <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and now,
21: then, you're going to play You Bet Your Life, the Elgin American game. If you run your $20 and the more than our other couples, you get a chance at the $2,000 question later. Fenneman, remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The fan club president and her partner won $20. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Famous horse racing track. Famous horse racing track. All right, here's your first question, and how much are you going to bet? $10. $10. All right, and what state do you find Belmont Park? Belmont Park? Belmont, that's what I said. <laughs> New York. New York, is Perkins! They're also a good start. They
5: have
21: $30. You now shot up to $30. How much of this swag are you going to bet on this one? Yeah, 25. She's a high flyer. <laughs> in, in what state? In what state is. Hi, huh?
9: Miami. Miami. Miami, Florida.
21: They now have $55. You have zoomed up to 55 smackers, and here's your third question. How much of this 55 you are you going to risk?
9: $85 to play with? Sure.
21: You're going to bet $50. Bucks. In what state is Arlington Park?
9: Arlington Park, Illinois.
3: Illinois
21: is correct. One hundred and five dollars. Mm-hmm. All right, you're coming around the rail now. Is your last chance to beat the other couple. Tom. Right. <laughs> on the rail uh, how much you gonna bet on this one? You've got a hundred and five dollars. How much you gonna let go? So <laughs> <laughs> I bet the note. Hundred dollars. you know I presume mm-hmm. you mean a hundred smackers,
5: huh?
21: In what state is Monmouth Park?
9: Monmouth Park, New Jersey. New Jersey is correct
5: and two hundred and five dollars. <laughs>
3: Thanks and good
21: luck from Elgin American Compact. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play you bet your life, and then we know we we'll gets get the crack at the $2,000 question. Venement, what's on your mind?
3: Every man and woman will agree that it's much smarter to carry matching accessories. And every man and woman can have that smartness with Elgin American cigarette case and lighter set. They contribute handsomely to a man's well-dressed feelings. They lend glamour to a woman smoking. Every lighter is precision made. And for women, many an Elgin American compact can be matched to its own cigarette case, lighter, or to both. See how pleasantly all these sets are priced. How proud you'll look and feel with a stunning cigarette case and lighter to match by Elgin American.
21: Well, the two going to earn the most money tonight and get the chance at the $2,000
3: question. George, who's leading so far? Well, the traveling salesman and the airline hostess are leading with $205. And here's our final couple, Groucho. They've been in the waiting room off stage, so they don't know the secret word is foot. F O O T. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Bates, the manageress, and Mr. Mack Wise, a blacksmith. And here they come, foot.
21: Meet Roger Mark. Welcome to the Elgin American program, and if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you will always have with you. A blacksmith and a manicurist, See Where'd you do your manicuring, Dorothy? Deadly Wichel Hotel. Are you, are you
10: married?
21: Uh... Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. Don't be so defiant about
10: it.
21: <laughs> How did you meet your husband, Dorothy? I met my
10: husband at the Dave Blades Center in the New York City.
21: He was skating, uh-huh. and you were skating, mm-hmm. and uh, you remember what music was playing at the time? No, I don't.
10: Uh-huh.
21: And you'll never get a chance to say, they're playing our song. <laughs> 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 Blacksmith, neck, wife, is your name? wife of Weiss. Where are you from, uh, Mr. Leith?
3: Oklahoma, the Oklahoma. <laughs> I the Oklahoma.
21: Are there many blacksmiths around these days?
3: Well, automobiles kind of got them on the run, but... There's two classes of blacksmiths. I wanted to work an iron, but I'm a horseshoe.
21: You're a horseshoe. You shoe horses, huh? You ever shoe flies? Uh, well, I let the horse do right? You let the horse shoe the flies? Now, well, that's a likely tale, huh? <laughs>
5: now,
21: where's your shop, Mac? Is it under the spreading chestnut tree? No,
3: the modern blacksmith got it on a mobile truck. and so we just go around?
9: Mobile
21: to... truck? You said you were from Oklahoma. <laughs> that's right. It's a whole mobile Oh. Well, how do you shoe a horse, Max? Well, the first
3: thing I do is bend over. Yeah? The... Is that
21: safe? <laughs> yeah. you, you make quite a target in that position, Max. <laughs> Have any of your clients ever kicked about the way you, uh, picked them? It's pretty hard, too. Suppose a horse doesn't want to have new shoes. How do you sell them on the idea, huh? Well,
3: that's why the blacksmith has to be a little lover, too. The first thing you talk
21: to them, you just walk
3: up and pet him and say, Whoa, honey, just stand
21: up here.
5: Easy, (laughs) baby.
21: Well, since we've got a manicure here, I better show my hand. For our blacksmith, we have Elgin American silver-finished cigarette case. And for Miss Dorothy, the silver finish compact by Elgin American. Here you are, Dorothy. Thank
5: you
21: very much. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, Dorothy, what is the average size step a man leaves after he's held hands for half an hour? 75 cents. 75? Seven? Mm-hmm. Gee, I only give a dime.
10: <laughs> <laughs>
21: well, who gives the largest, uh, old men or young men?
10: Usually old men.
21: <laughs> Why is that? Sir?
10: Well, they usually have more money to
21: spend than younger fellows. You feel this is probably
10: their last contact with life. <laughs>
21: Do you have any uh, any special methods that you use to wangle a big tip out of a customer?
10: What well, do you think the message says to Call them
21: whole baby and whole baby. <laughs> <laughs> did you say stand still, honey? Yeah. You give them
10: a nice massage and.
21: Uh... You give them a massage too, huh? <laughs> no wonder
10: they get 75 cents.
5: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you say
21: you were located, honey? 75
5: hotel.
21: Send my hands over in the morning. Do huh? <laughs> you ever get tired of he's sitting there all day holding a man's hand and looking him in the face? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Max, uh, do you ever get tired uh, looking. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
9: You make, a, you make
21: a very interesting couple, although I'm not exactly sure which one of you I should go to for a manicure. <laughs> now, let's see how you can work together for $2,000. You're the last couple to play the Elves and American Game. You beat the other two couples, and you get the $2,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage so you mind to remind out of listen The traveling salesman and the airline hostess are high with $205. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? 20 Songs oh, to that ask that questions. Question. Now here's your first question. you got twenty dollars. How much are you going to bet on this one? Um, and give me the title of the song. Okay, Sam. Our things in Glamour. Our things in
5: Galabara.
21: And <laughs> things are up to a great start. I have thirty dollars. <laughs> Remember, you're going for two thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of your thirty dollars you going to bet on this one? Twenty. Mm. All right. Here it is. <laughs> Did you ever see a dream walking? Is right. They're on no way! They have fifty dollars. Here's your third question. You got
3: fifty
21: dollars. How much are you gonna bet? Twenty. Twenty. All right. What's the name of this song? Play, Stan. Deep, in the, uh, ocean. deep in
3: the
21: ocean. Deep the ocean. now have
3: seventy
21: dollars. Now you've got seventy dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the mm-hmm. other couple. How much of the seventy are you gonna bet? Fifty. You're going to bet 50. All right. What is that all right, Max? What is the name of this song?
3: And they wind up with $120. And that means the traveling salesman and the airline hostess of a winning couple and get a chance to win $2,000. $2,000. Years of the finest designing, engraving, finishing, and craftsmanship have put Elgin American Compact cigarette cases and lighters in a class by themselves. Beautiful and durable to use you yourself, memorable as gifts for any occasion. See these exquisite accessories in rich colors, silver finish, jeweler's bronze, and sterling silver at any leading jewelry store, department store, or specialty shop. And you can put your cigarette case, lighter, and compact confidence. In Elgin, American, And here's the winning couple. The traveling salesman and the airline hostess. Well, back again to try it
21: for $2,000 of an uh, Elgin American's money. Good luck. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you and talk it over thoroughly. And no help in the audience, please. Here it is for $2,000 in cash. The United States was a young, struggling country in 1778, and European nations refused to recognize it. What was the first European country to officially recognize the United States? All right, what is the answer you two have decided upon?
5: Breeze. Well, here it is
21: $2,000 from Elgin American Compacts. You said you cleaned up tonight. Not only did you win the $2,000, but you each won a 16 millimeter sound movie projector. But $205, you earned a total of uh, $2,205. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Yeah.
3: The Elgin American Show, you Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Blunt, editor Bernie Smith, music by Stanley Meyer. Remember, next week's big question pays $1,000. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for you Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx, presented by the creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, and finest dresses at Elgin American. Tonight, folks, have you looked at your compact lately?
0: I forgot how funny Groucho Marx was. Monica, are you still there? Monica? Uh okay, Monica, I can't no one can hear you. Um so I guess it's left to me to uh To introduce the whipped cream That you might think is a cherry, everybody I bring you the Bob Hope Show With special guest Jack Benny Enjoy, everyone
18: Well, I swan Me too So do I How about you?
22: It's the new Swan Show with our great singing star, Doris Day.
5: Well, I swan.
22: A new singing favorite, Bill Farrell. That's me. Our guest, Jack Benny, Irene Ryan, the four hits and a miss, the new Les Brown
20: Band. We do Swan exclusively. How about
22: you?
23: Yes, how about you? Well, me, my name is Robert Hopalong Hope.
22: And now, Bob Hope's Swan's Eye View of the News. Princeton, New Jersey. Hurried conferences and frantic alibis were the order of the day here as the nation's poll takers sought to explain their disastrous error in predicting the results of last week's election. Dr. Gallup
23: was amazed at the outcome, but he wouldn't admit he was wrong. Last night, he was still peeking into the White House window and singing, Maybe you'll be there. He was really unhappy when he saw the election returns, he exclaimed, it's the last time I take a house-to-house survey. From now on, I'm going to ask people. (laughs) I called up Elmer Roper and said, how can your predictions be so wrong? He said, you see, we mathematicians make a prodigious effort to ascertain by statistical and prognostication and political prestidigitation the approximate parallelisms. I said, what does that mean? He said, where can I get a job? Tuesday night, Drew Pearson said over the radio, "I predict Dewey will be elected by ten 30. At eleven o'clock, he said, "I predict Dewey." At twelve, he said, "I predict." The next morning, he said, "I yeah, 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 yeah.
5: <laughs> New
22: York, New York. Phone company executives announced here today that telephones for automobiles were at long last ready and available for Mister. Average Motorist.
23: I had a phone put in my car last week, but the wires must be crossed. Every time I step on the starter, the spark plugs give a busy signal and the receiver squirts a quart of hot oil in my ear. (laughs) But they're a big help to the motorist. If a guy's speeding, he can look in the rear-vision mirror, see a cop trailing him, call his lawyer, and the three of them can meet at the next intersection. (laughs) But think what it'll be like later on when cars have telephones and television, too. A guy's driving along, his wife calls up and says, Honey... Bring home a head of lettuce,
22: some carrots, a cucumber, and get that tomato out of your car. Washington, D.C. The greatest ovation in the history of the nation's capital greeted President Truman as a crowd of 750,000 cheered his triumphant return to the White House.
23: Yes, sir, it was at a reception. From every window, they were throwing confetti and old cabinet members. <laughs> And the world and the world will long remember President Truman's historic words when he returned to the White House. He said, it's okay, Bess, you can send the laundry out now. <laughs> when Harry got back to the White House, he started hanging up his coat. Governor Warren stuck his head out of the closet and said, I'll be out of your way as soon as I pack up my oranges. <laughs> The Democrats did so well in that election, they're even coming out with new products named after the president. They got a new thing now called the Harry Truman Popsicle. It's a frozen Republican on a stick. (laughs) And with the election coming out the way it did, a lot of people had to change their plans. Now Margaret Truman has to go back to the White House, and she had it all set to be the fourth Andrew sister. <laughs> the three candidates have really changed their tune since the election. Truman's changed from Missouri waltz to its magic. <laughs> Dewey's humming Say It Isn't So, and Wallace is singing On a Slow Boat to China. <laughs>
22: Only eight more days of the Swan nineteen forty nine Mercury Contest. Only eight more days to win a brand new nineteen forty nine Mercury automobile. Right now, here are more winners in the Daily Mercury Contest. October nineteenth. Mrs. Don Andrews of Portsmouth, Virginia. A new 1949 Mercury. October 20th, Mrs. B.V. Painter of San Diego, California. A new 1949 Mercury. October 21st, Mrs. Arlene Brewster of Topeka, Kansas. A new 1949 Mercury. October 22nd, duplicate winners, Mr. Fred S. Balsinger of Denver, Colorado, and Mrs. E.P. Williamson of Honolulu. Each win a new 1949 Mercury. October 25th, Mrs. Alvin M. David, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A new 1949 Mercury. Congratulations, winners and... and... And remember, folks, there are only eight more days to enter. Lever Brothers is giving away a Mercury a Day every day until November 19th. That's right, a Mercury a Day plus $1,000 in cash awards daily. There's a new contest every day except Saturday and Sunday, and you can enter as often as you please. All residents of the continental United States, including Alaska and Hawaii, are eligible. Just be sure to follow the complete rules printed on free entry blanks at your store. And be sure to include your storekeeper's name. Here's all you do. Finish the following statement, I like swan soap because in 25 words or less. Then send a swan soap wrapper together with your name and address to Lever's Mercury A Day Contest, Post Office Box 3, New York 8, New York. Well, I swan.
24: A Mercury A Day. That's right. Gee whiz.
22: Bye, Cracky.
23: Here's the gal who was selected as the Orchid Queen of the National Flower Festival, our singing orchid, Miss Doris Day.
6: Every day I love you just a little bit more Just a little bit more A little bit more Every day I want you just a little bit more than I did the day
5: before.
6: You'll never guess how deep my love is, not even in your wildest dreams. But just so you get it clear, compare to my love, my dear, the Mississippi River, just a stream every day i love you just a little bit more just a little bit more a little bit more every day i want you just a little bit more than i did the day before then I did then I did The day I did. The That was
23: great. Next week, Morton Downey, ladies and gentlemen.
22: Ladies and gentlemen, you probably read in the papers last week that while making a picture at Paramount, Bob Hope tripped and tore a muscle in his right leg. Now let's look behind the scenes and see how an accident like this affects the motion picture industry. We take you to the production offices at Paramount, where the heads of the studio, Henry Geeksberg and Y. Free Frankman, are talking.
19: Say, Y. F. Yes, H. G. I've been thinking. We've got a lot of money tied up in that character, Bob Hope. And if his leg doesn't get any better, he may never be in another Paramount picture. How could a thing like that happen to us? Oh, I don't know. Just lucky, I guess. (laughs) But Y.F., what'll we do about Hope? His leg may be broken. Yeah. Too bad he ain't triggered. We could shoot him. (laughs) You know how this accident happened, don't you, Y.F.? Hope was doing that boat scene, and as he tried to get on board, he slipped and fell because somebody had put grease all over the gangplank. You know, it looks like someone is out to get him. Yeah. Now, remember, H.G., if there's an investigation, we're in this thing together. (laughs) Well, it seemed like the easy way. And while we're on the subject, Y.F., we got to get rid of a lot of the actors over here. They're getting too old. Yeah, how about that Crosby? Remember when we thought we had mice in the studio? We spent $5,000 to get rid of the mice and then found out it was Crosby's joints that were doing the squeaking. <laughs> you know, Y.F., I think Bing is about the same age as Hope. Yeah, I know it. If we put them in another road picture, the road's got to be downhill. (laughs) By the way, where's Hope now? He's over in his dressing room, resting.
5: Oh.
23: Oh, Doris, this pain is awful.
24: Oh, is it really that bad, Bob? Let me look at your leg. Oh, my gosh, it's all twisted out of shape, isn't it?
23: That's the wrong leg.
24: <laughs> oh, gee, Bob, I hate to see you in such misery. Does it hurt much?
23: Well, I don't care about that. I just wish it had been my other knee. Why? Well, the knee I hurt is the one with the dimple in it.
24: <laughs> now,
23: I'll never be able to wear my pedal pushers with a split up the side. <laughs>
24: just don't understand how a thing like this could happen to you. You're so strong and husky. Am I? Yeah. And and so loaded with vitality. Honest? Sure. Why, I always think of you as being a real he-man.
23: You do? Yes. I have so much more than Gregory. Why should I fight it? (laughs) (laughs) Say, it was sure nice of you to drop in, though, Doris. I want to...
16: Hello, Mr. Holt.
23: Oh, hello, Miss Ryan.
16: Hello, Miss Ryan. How do you feel today? Well, you know me. I always try to keep my chin up, even though my arches are falling. (laughs) I heard about what happened to Mr. Holt, and I thought I'd come over and cheer him up.
23: Oh, thanks. You see, I hurt my leg, and I can't move it. It's nothing to worry about.
16: Oh, I don't know about that. My Uncle Julius had the same thing once in his shoulders, and he couldn't move his arms. The doctor made him leave them in one position. Oh, that must have been terrible. Well, it worked out all right. When he died two days later, his arms were already folded on his (laughs) chest.
23: That's nice. Portia faces life. This gal backs into it.
24: (laughs) Bob, Bob, you should listen to Miss Ryan. She can help you. She's been through a lot of these things, you know. Oh, yes.
16: I've never really been all well all my life.
5: <laughs>
16: that is all of it, you know. <laughs> and recently, Mr. Hope, it's been much worse. Yesterday, I thought I was losing my mind. All day long, I kept hearing voices in my head.
23: You were hearing voices in your head?
16: Yes. But I found out what it was. The battery in my hearing aid was low, and I was still getting the election return. <laughs>
23: Well, don't worry. Hoover made it, you know. But it was nice of you to drop in, Miss Ryan.
16: Well, I do hope you get better. Oh, that reminds me, before I go, I wanted to show you a picture of my Uncle Julius. The one who died.
23: Well, what do I want to see a picture of him for?
16: Well, you might get worse. And if you don't pull through, it'll be nice if you know somebody when you get there. (laughs) Keep your chin up now.
5: Bye. (laughs)
23: If she ever gets married, she'll spend her honeymoon in the window of the Rexall drugstore.
24: Well, I have to be running along, too, Bob. I promised High Averback I'd meet him. He's making a screen test over here.
23: Averback is making a screen test? You mean they've run out of
24: talent? Well, I think High will do very well in pictures because he just has. Oh, hello,
22: everybody. Hello, Doris.
24: Oh, hello, High. Are you all ready for your screen test?
22: Yes, Doris. I just came from the makeup department. They didn't get your ears on straight. <laughs> At least my lobes are on the bottom.
24: <laughs> well,
22: now, Doris, uh, how about running through the screen test with me like you promised?
24: Okay, I uh, have me the script.
22: Uh, yeah, now, the scene we're doing takes place in a New York penthouse. We're social leaders and we're married, but we're splitting up. Now, you have the first line, and I want you to pay close attention to my diction.
24: Montgomery, I'm afraid that you and I are through. It's regrettable, but we can't go on. Yes,
22: Alice. I'm so sorry that we must split But I'm afraid we must go our separate ways. Don't you think
13: you're
23: carrying too many pounds of pressure there? Lobes on upside down. Okay, it's all right.
24: Well, Montgomery, if we're parting... Well, Montgomery, if we're parting, I insist that you give me the house. You may have the house. And I want the Cadillac and the two Mercury.
22: They're yours, but there's one thing you may not have.
24: If you're speaking of the children, I want them. You may have
22: the children, my riches, and my home, but I insist that you leave one thing. What? That cake of swan soap in the kitchen.
23: (laughs) Jimmy Fiddler will give this picture four bubbles.
22: (laughs) Yes, Alice. Alice, take everything, but please, please don't take that swan. Swan is the newer, better white floating soap. Swan never crumples like our dream castles did. No, sir, you can use swan right down to the last smooth sliver. And why? Because swan is made by a modern patented process that no other soap can use. A process that makes swan better for dishes and hands. Swan is as mild as the finest castile. It protects your hands, keeps them soft and smooth.
23: He's right. My hands are so soft, when, when I want to point at anybody, I have to starch one finger. <laughs>
22: Oh, Alice. Alice, I can't leave you. Just think, a cake of swan brought us together again. I still love you.
24: And I love you.
22: I love you, Alice.
24: Oh, I love you, Monty.
23: I'm engaged to the Lever Brothers.
24: (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
22: for your hands, your bath, and for baby's bath, swan is the best soap afloat. Well, I swan. Me too. Yes, sir. Bye, (laughs) Cracky.
23: our junior crooner. We borrowed from
18: the Oasis this week. The 19-year-old Bill Farrell, ladies and There is no birth to this song Cause I don't wanna wait a moment too long to say that I'd love to get you On a boat to China All to myself alone Get you and keep you bye, bye, in bye, my arms evermore. Leave all your lovers ba, ba, weeping on the faraway shore. <laughs> Out on the briny, with the moon big and shining,
5: Meling
18: your heart of stone. Yes, I want to get you on a slow boat to China all to myself. Oh, no. Yes, I want to get you on a slow boat. China, oh, to my shell on a real slow boat, on a real slow boat, on a slow, on a slow, slow boat, boat. boat to China. Yeah.
23: That's my son from Cleveland, Billy Farrell. Thank you very much. Singing slow boat to China. Now tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to present a very different kind of a a thing here. We have a thing here. Musicians, please, no tuning while the star is on, please. Now, as I was saying, please, please. Hey, you, hey, Evelyn, stop with that magic violin.
20: I resent that. (laughs) Well, Jack Benny, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Jack, what are you doing here? Some surprise. (laughs) We rehearsed nine weeks already. (laughs) Bob, look, I heard about your leg, and I thought I'd pay you a visit. Well, that's swell of you, Jack, but how come you're sitting in with Les
23: Brown's orchestra?
20: Well, just once I wanted to play in a band and not worry about the leader's breath taking the varnish off my violin. (laughs) you don't have to worry about Les. Les
23: hasn't been high since Petrillo picked him up to burp him. But look,
20: it was awfully nice of you to drop in and see me, Jack. Well, I was sorry to hear about your accident, Bob. Yeah, either. it's
23: a little uncomfortable, but the worst of it is whenever I hobble down the street, people co- keep throwing money in my hat.
5: <laughs> they do?
20: <laughs> Gosh, how embarrassing. That's terrible. That must be awful. Bob... How much do you average a block?
23: (laughs) Oh, it varies, but take my advice, Jack. Stay away from Beverly Hills. Nothing but Dewey
20: buttons. (laughs) But I can't get over how nice it is of you to drop in on me, Jack. Well, Bob, that's the way it is with us troopers. You know, we show people have to stick together in these times of trouble. Why, as soon as I heard of your accident, I rushed right over here to be the first one at your side. Jack,
23: you came over just to help me...
20: Well, yes, yes. Of course, if you buy the insurance policy I have in mind, it helps me a little, too.
5: Jack, why
20: are you
23: selling insurance?
20: Well, you see, it's a little early to start unloading my line of Christmas cards.
23: (laughs) Well, Jack, I don't get this. You're a wealthy man. You're worth millions of dollars. Whoops. (laughs) selling insurance, huh? Well, if you got a sample policy, you can show me there in your portfolio. Oh.
5: <laughs>
18: Jack.
20: Did you hear that? No, no, I didn't hear anything. You sure you didn't hear that echo? No, kid. This is your show. <laughs> Well, look, Jack, let's
23: face it. This is ridiculous. You don't have to sell insurance. You're a star. They write about you in the Saturday Evening Post. You're one of the outstanding comedians in show business. One of them. (laughs) You don't mind me throwing that in there, do you? No, no. No, this is still your show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you're really great, Jack. People stay at home on Sundays just to listen to your radio show.
20: I have so much more than Fred Allen. Why should I fight? (laughs) Say, wait a minute. That's my gag. I'll trade you for the yodel.
5: <laughs> <laughs> What'll
23: my sponsor say? Well, I swore.
5: Me, too.
20: Yes, sir. Bye, Cracky. That's right. Wait a minute. Gee whiz. My goodness.
24: Of course. And how? Wait a minute. I'll say. Hurry up. You bet. Who uh-huh. Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Bye, Cracky. Wait!
23: Easy, Jack. Either we peddle the stuff this way, or I have to put on a pair of water wings and sell it bathtub to bathtub.
20: My next line is a humdinger. (laughs) Baths up to bathtub, huh? I have trouble with my sponsor, too. That's a dandy line. Thanks, (laughs) Bob. I rehearsed four weeks for that line.
23: Well, we were going to give you something you could get your teeth into, but we... We'ren't sure you'd have them
20: with you tonight.
5: <laughs> you wouldn't
20: dare say that if you were still with
5: Pepsodent, oh. <laughs> brother.
20: Let's get back to this Alex. stuff, huh?
5: Alex. <laughs> We'll
20: never get through with this tonight. Look at it. You know, Bob, you know who has Stand the by, sweetest... by, You know who has the sweetest... Page 15. You know who has the sweetest... I'm not the... You know who has the sweetest... <sighs> you never get off. Wait you a minute. You know who has...
5: <laughs>
20: I want to play the violin. Yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we still on? <laughs> You okay. know who has the sweetest racket radio, don't you? The disc jockeys. Disc jockeys? You mean
23: one of those guys who says, this next record is sponsored by the Happy Hunting Ground Funeral Home, and now the orchestra plays, he's a real gone guy? <laughs> we haven't got time to wait See, for why that. don't we try... <laughs> Please, your laughs, not mine. Please. <laughs> Say, why don't we try our hand at being disc jockey, Jack? All we have to do is make the rounds of the music shops and pick up a couple of hundred records.
20: Well, I don't know.
23: For free. Shoot
20: the wax to me, Max. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be
23: great as a team of disc jockeys. As they say in radio, I can just hear it now.
20: Good
22: evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to station SLOV, the biggest on the coast. (laughs) And now, and now we present Jazzy Jack Benny and Bebop Bob in their original radio record show, Make Believe Washroom.
23: Hi, you gang. All right, Dad, this is your old disc jockey, Bebop Bob, with another knocked-out record section. It's all on wax and it's real mad, so you kids who want to get your kicks, lace up your boots and latch on to some of this frantic jive, that we're going to stand swinging your way. Right now, cats, I'd like to turn the mic over to a real hep character, the man who knows all the answers in the world of jazz, that solid jet, my platter partner, Jazzy Jack Benny.
20: Ahem. <clears throat> Hot o <job>, do
23: <laughs>
4: Solid Jack.
5: And now,
23: before we spin our next platter for you kids, we'd like to tell you the next spin a
20: half of our show is sponsored by Dr. Capstaff's Weight Reducing Plan. We'd like a word with those of you ladies who weigh over 400 pounds. Do <laughs> you have the feeling that you're being followed? <laughs> you are. It's you. <laughs> And you've met over 400 pounds. Do
23: you have large stomachs? When you get your shoes shined, you have to take the boot black's word for it.
20: (laughs) Why not try Dr. Capstaff's weight-reducing bill?
23: Yes, to take off those extra pounds, try Dr. Capstaff's method. No diet, no pills, no injections, no exercise. Once a week, Dr. Capstaff's comes to your house and beats you with a rubber hose. (laughs) And now we're going to play our first record. It's a little tune called, I'm Dancing With Tears In My Eyes Because The Girl In My Arms Had Onions For Dinner.
20: (laughs) Going to be played by Woody Gribbeness, and as you should live so long, if you can find the melody orchestra. (laughs) Hit it, Woody. Ah, oh, thanks, Woody, that was great
5: <laughs> Look, B-Bob,
20: a bunch of new releases just arrived
23: Gee, there's some interesting titles Look at this one You used to be the cream
20: in my coffee But now you're just grounds for divorce
5: <laughs> <laughs> Get
20: a load of this one If you were the only girl in the world And I was the only boy I wonder who I'd play handball with at the why. Here's my
23: favorite. Hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. I never should have stomped on them with my bare feet. Say, suppose we play that one right now. Okay, but first,
20: a word from our sponsor.
23: Yes, this next record is coming to you through the courtesy of Slushies, the only breakfast cereal that's shot out of a water pistol.
15: (laughs) Folks, you'll just
20: love Slushies. They don't snap, crackle, and pop like other breakfast cereals. They just lie there anew. (laughs) Mothers, you would cheer when you see the way your kids dive into a bowl of Slushies. They never come up again. (laughs) Listen to what one happy user of slushies has to say. I've been eating slushies for nigh to 30 years. And I want to tell you something. I'm getting mighty tired.
23: (laughs) Thank you, Effie Spoon of Battle Creek, (laughs) Michigan. Say, Jack, what's next on the turntable?
20: Oh, the folks will just love this one.
23: Yes, sir. It's a new release that features a duet by that brilliant young Waukegan violinist, Benny
20: Kabelski, and that New Cleveland singing discovery, the Velvet Smog. Okay,
5: shall we give it a word? Yeah. (laughs)
23: East is east, and west is west, and the wrong one I have
19: chose. Let's go where you keep on wearing those bills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows.
23: Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the shemen grows. Let's go town to some big town where they love a gal by the cut of her clothes, and you'll stand out in buttons and bows. No uh, oh, practicing in our time, please. I love you in the that you've almost But I love you longer, stronger, where your friends don't go to gun. Now, it's the buck for a thousand, cactus hurts my toes. I let's bamboos where gals keep using those silks and satins and linen that shows. And you were all mine in buttons and bows. <laughs>
4: Thank you, Jack. Very uh, so You've been fine. That's fine, Jack.
23: Thank you. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, Jack. Wait a minute, Jack. We have next week. It's all over, kid. Pack up. Okay. We have another. Next week we have Morton Downey, ladies and gentlemen. That Coca. Say, okay, Jack. Wait a minute. It's all over, Jack.
5: Jack, wait a minute. Wait a minute.
23: The memory of the vote in 48. A chance to demonstrate whom we endorse to chart the course course of our U.S. ship estate. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to pay a tribute to that fighting man from Missouri who stepped into the ring last Tuesday with the odds against him and came out the winner and still champion of the U.S.A., President Harry S. Truman.
6: Mirror, mirror on the wall is my hair fair. Of them all.
7: It is when you use Rave Cream Shampoo. Rave leaves your hair so clean, so soft, so easy to manage. Easy to manage because the pure lanolin in Rave especially blended with other important ingredients to make hair behave, even on Shampoo Day. Try Rave Cream Shampoo. R-A-Y-V-E. Rave Cream Shampoo. This is
19: NBC, the national broadcasting company.
1: Well, y'all, I'd like to invite you to set a spell longer, but we've got to go ourselves. But it's been fun, and I look forward to seeing you next week. And, Victor, you got anything to say?
0: Uh, Have fun, everybody.
1: (laughs) And don't forget to subscribe or check us out or... Leave us comments All the you, stuff we mentioned at the beginning
0: And if you have any requests By all means leave them in the comment section Or email them to anyway At gmail.com If you have a request for a particular show
1: Or At the beginning I gave all of our addresses Her you did or something so you did <laughs> <laughs> somebody did anyway
0: well you did yeah i think so. <laughs> anyway
1: i think i'm gonna go get off here and read a graphic audio for a while
0: bye-bye everybody oh i thought you turned it off <laughs> <Not> yet. <laughs> remember you're the host uh, no,
1: that's, yeah <laughs> I, I thought i indicated i was done but i guess i
0: didn't, <laughs> you didn't.
5: oh bye y'all <laughs> i'm done now <laughs>